Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 140 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to know about the release dates uh, of the upcoming episodes or whenever we go on a break uh, or the episode you know, titles ahead of time, then you can follow me on Instagram at delvingintoislampodcast. Again, Delving Into Islam podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Now, this podcast is literally for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life, and you know, just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast, inshallah, is for you. And uh, before we get into today's topic, uh, I want to just have a few things to, you know, talk about. So first of all, alhamdulillah, I'm back. I was, for those of you who, you know, don't know, uh, I was traveling. Uh, that's why uh, the, our regular topics were on hold. Uh, and I was doing just a bunch of Q&As. And this was very beneficial, by the way. Please, if you, again, any of the questions that I, you know, we, we, we released on a podcast interest you, please go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, and I just realized something. Um, first of all, I, I apologize because, uh, you know, when I got a chance, when, when I traveled, uh, I got a chance to, you know, catch up on all get, you know, get caught up on all the, the, the emails that you guys have sent. And I realized that it's been an enormous amount of emails. There's a lot of emails and I apologize that I was not able to respond in time. I truly, truly apologize. I, I honestly, I try my best all the time to respond as soon as possible, but because of, again, a lot of preparations and a lot of, you know, work on my, you know, personal, in my personal life. Uh, and I have, uh, as many of you know, I have a daytime job. So that, that requires a lot of work. I do programming and I, you know, I, I get involved in a lot of projects. So that gives me, uh, unfortunately a small window of being able to read the emails. And, and at the same time, like I was actually, one of you suggested that I should hire someone who would read the emails for me, but then that defeats the purpose because again, I have to spend the time analyzing the story and the email and the question and, you know, be able to answer or, you know, if I can't find the answer, then research the answer. So that will, that that's going to be all me. So, you know, having someone that reads the emails, it doesn't make any sense in, in, in my case, at least. So again, I wanted to apologize to any of you who sent me an email and it's taken a while for me to respond. I promise you, I don't do that on purpose, of course. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, give me the, the, the strength and the knowledge and, uh, and and the time to be able to respond to all of you. So that is one thing. Uh, another thing is, again, since since I'm back, alhamdulillah, now no more traveling. I mean, for a short period of time, um, I'm, we're back to the, you know, our regular topics alongside with, with the Q&As. Of course, the Q&As will, will never stop. Here's the thing, though. I know many of you were waiting. Okay, so when is the next topic regarding the major signs, right? 
and that will again maybe two more episodes after this one that we will tackle critical stuff uh, you guys know the pattern now alhamdulillah that whenever we have topics that we need to pause our regular you know our regular series like we we are in the middle of the you know major science series sometimes you have to pause and move on to something else briefly and then come back to the major signs because like today's episode for example today's topic i didn't count yet but it's i think it's almost was sent to me by a little more than 10 people 10 of you guys more than 10 of you 10 listeners talked about or something similar to today's topic and i'm literally answering the question of uh, let me let me count because i have a list of the names here and it could be again wrong i'm missing someone out but like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve listeners and this is again uh, when when i had time while i was traveling to read the emails i was like i have to make like i have to talk about this this is a, a very it's a, first of all it's a recurring theme in all the questions or many of the questions that people are complaining or have doubts or have worries about the same thing and, and, and now not 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 all the questions or all the listeners have the same issue but it's like around the same thing around being a convert being a revert what scares me of being a revert or even after i became a revert what scares me about this this journey right and what is what is concerning about this right and i've this is critical and believe it or not i don't think uh we will be able to finish this topic today i i think we're gonna have maybe a a part two of this with a different title because i'm gonna tackle again like i said it's gonna be Whatever is similar in, in stories and questions, I will tackle today, and then something else maybe we'll tackle from all those 12 questions, even more than 12, 12 questions. So again, this is something critical that we have to tackle, and then inshallah, we'll go back and uh, to resume our uh, final episodes of the season uh, for you know the major signs. Inshallah, we will end, we will finish all the major signs. Up until the day of judgment and inshallah next season, inshallah, which will start early, I promise, in January, inshallah, maximum, maximum, February. If, if something happens and I have to postpone until February, then inshallah, that's what we will do. But inshallah, the plan so far, without any interruptions or any unexpected, you know, events, is inshallah mid-January uh, maximum to start. But then again, uh, the worst case scenario is gonna, we're going to postpone it by like two weeks or so. Uh, but inshallah, we will start from scratch when it comes to the Day of Judgment next next season. And that will be the entire season, inshallah. And I believe we will not be able to finish the Day of Judgment. Don't quote me on this. I'm j- I, Again, in terms of estimation, I don't think we're going to finish. The Day of Judgment is a huge topic. It's the biggest topic of all of theology in Islam. The longest, and because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally describes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet describing every single detail, almost every tiny detail. Of course, there's a lot of things that were not told to us, and we'll figure that out, but like everything we need to know about the Day of Judgment is mentioned to us in the Quran and in the Sunnah. So that's going to take some time, inshallah. Uh, and uh, again, it's this is not 
a very uh, I don't organize it in a specific way. It's not a TV show. I try to make the keep the interest high by you know doing seasons on all these things, like I said, uh, and try to you know have a season finale and make it more interesting to those who you know get bored of just people talking. However, at the end of the day, we're the purpose of this is to keep people people engaged, so we all can benefit from you know these things that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the Prophet Sallam told us. So that is that is that. The last thing, the last point that I want to uh, talk about today is that while I was traveling, again I was reading all the emails, uh, and I I was amazed by the amount of people who, alhamdulillah, converted or reverted to Islam. And I was more amazed by the amount of people who said that this podcast had a huge impact on their decision of becoming Muslims. This is, by Allah, wallahi, the greatest reward I think I could ever receive in this life. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes me one of his tools to spread the religion, the correct, and the, you know, in a simple way to those who don't know anything about and to Muslims as well who you know want to learn more about Islam like we I always say in the introduction right and I'm still learning we're all by the way until the day we die no one has all the answers you know wama utitu min al-ilmi illa qalila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said you only got a snippet of of knowledge you have no knowledge compared to of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's vast uh, knowledge and you know we all again I'm not perfect not even close you know we all make mistakes we all sin we all try to go back to allah we all try to repent we're all are flawed human beings and that is the whole purpose of being a human being to be you are flawed now the difference between you and someone else is that you should recognize that you are flawed and you try to better yourself in the sight of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by going back to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for me, like I said, we're all in the sa- on the same, but we try to help each other out, and that that is my point. We all try to share our knowledge. We all try to better ourselves. Don't get me wrong; I try to benefit from the podcast by spreading knowledge, by gaining rewards from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala through spreading knowledge with all of you. And may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala again accept from all of us because you're getting, be- inshallah, you're getting get you are getting rewards by listening, and inshallah, I am getting rewards by uh, you know. Again, sharing my knowledge with everyone. So, uh, to just put the list down. Now, today's topic comes to us from Niam, Carolyn, Joseph, Emmanuel, Chanel, Matthew, Ian, Daniel, Anna, Sophie, David, and Jack. Uh, and and again, the list goes on. It's just uh, today's topic is is important. Is important because here's the thing. Here's the the the, the fact that. N- not many people know once you try to become a muslim shaitan will cast doubt in your heart as much as he can shaitan will try to fight you will try to make you scared of islam because he does not want you to take that step he doesn't want you to take that step satan's goal is to drive all of mankind to hellfire he wants all of us to burn in hellfire for eternity with him alongside with you know him and his progeny and his followers so when um, a non-muslim becomes a muslim what is that that's someone who you know one less uh, person who would spend eternity in hellfire he does not like that so he'll do whatever it takes to whisper in your ears to cast doubt to know what you remember we said that shaitan's plan is to study us he watches us and he sees our weaknesses 
He notices. He takes notes. He takes notes of our weaknesses. Then he plans and acts by whispering, casting doubt through our weaknesses. He sees what we're afraid of. We don't want to, you know, upset our parents, our non-Muslim parents. Ooh, he comes here and he's like, oh, your parents will be upset. You're going to lose them. Are you willing to lose your parents? Things like that. You know, he sees that you, uh, for a Muslim, for, you know, uh, when you look at a Muslim sister, maybe she's struggling because she's wearing the hijab. So he goes to, you know, any uh, non-Muslim who's thinking about becoming a Muslim, like a sister, inshallah, potential sister in Islam. And he tells her, hey, you want to live this life? Covered like this? You know, persecuted and, and looked at in, a, in, a, in, in, in society in a strange and a weird way? Do you want to live like that? And so on and so forth. He looks at our fears and he emphasizes those fears when it comes to, you know, becoming a Muslim. So today we're going to answer some of the questions about, you know, what do we do? Like if, let's say I want to become a Muslim and I'm afraid, I'm worried of certain things. I'm scared of certain things when it comes to Islam or when it comes to my lifestyle after being a Muslim. How do I address that? How do I, you know, how do I deal with my family? How do I deal with holidays like, you know, Christian holidays or, or Jewish holidays or any non-Muslim, you know, holidays? How 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 do I deal with that? Because that stops people from being Muslims. You know, the Prophet ﷺ told us that when a, a non-Muslim tries to become a Muslim, Shaitan comes to them and he simply says, "Are you gonna follow a different belief and a different religion from your ancestors?" Your family members? You're going to be a stranger? Really? You're going to take on, take on this like weird new lifestyle and abandon the, 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 the heritage of you know, you know your ancestors, the belief of your ancestors? That's what happened to who? You guys remember? The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, the most beloved uncle to the Prophet ﷺ, when he decided to become a Muslim, what happened? Shaitan came to him. And whispered to him, are you going to do this? And then the shaitan from the humans, who was Abu Jahl, he came to him and he said, the same thing that shaitan was whispering to the uncle. Really? You're going to abandon the beliefs? And what, what will people say about you? What will your family say about you? And what happened? Unfortunately, he just did not want to accept Islam and died upon shirk. Now, for those of you who don't know, shirk is associating someone with Allah. It's disbelieving in Allah by associating someone with Him. Like, for example, believing that Jesus Christ is partially God or a God is shirk. Believing that Allah is not the only God worthy of worship is shirk. So, yeah, shaitan, that's just shaitan's plan, by the way. He's a very, like I said, shaitan is smart. He's sneaky, he's smart. He's cunning. He knows how to trick us, how to manipulate our fears, and how to manipulate the things we love too by, you know, making by making us turning them into sins. You know? So that is in general the idea. That's why if you are a non-Muslim who are convinced, by the way, we're talking about those who see Islam, see the truth about Islam, convinced that Islam makes perfect sense. Yet they're scared of becoming Muslims because of lifestyle, because of family, because of I won't be able to keep up with certain things as a Muslim. Yeah, rest assured, this is shaitan, manipulating your fears. Wallah, it's that simple. 
It is that simple. It again, this is not my words. The Prophet said that. The Prophet told us in a hadith that this is what shaitan will do. Also in, in the Quran, chapter of A'raf, verse number 16. Shaitan or Satan tells Allah what? قَالَ فَبِمَا أَغْوَيْتَنِي لَأَقْعُدَنَّ لَهُمْ صِرَاطَكَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Oh Allah, I'm gonna block your sirat. Look at this. Basically, I'm gonna block their way to guidance. Talking about mankind. Oh Allah, لَأَقْعُدَنَّ لَهُمْ صِرَاطَكَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Now the sirat al-mustaqim here is what? There are two meanings of the sirat al-mustaqim in general. Sirat al-mustaqim is the bridge that we're going to have to cross on the day of judgment. And that bridge is a physical bridge. That's very dangerous. But that bridge is a manifestation of the sirat al-mustaqim in this life, which is the only path to guidance. Sirat al-mustaqim, the straight path to Allah, the straight path to Jannah, the straight path to guidance. Now, what? Uh, Satan was talking about in the chapter of Araf is that he said, I'm going to block their road to the straight path to Jannah, to the straight path to uh, guidance. I will block their guidance, the, the, the process of their guidance. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to ruin it. Now, think about it this way. This is very fascinating. And we're going to get to it, inshallah, when we talk about the Day of Judgment. But like, look at the word Surat al-Mustaqim. It's a bridge to by the way, the, the physical bridge that will uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring on a day of judgment, that's a bridge to Jannah. And under that bridge will be hellfire. By the way, all Muslims, and this bridge will only be crossed by Muslims. Good Muslims and terrible Muslims. By the way, hypocrites of the Muslims will also cross this bridge. But during the crossing, good Muslims will be able to survive. Bad Muslims will fall off the bridge into hellfire. All the non-Muslims will actually drop in hellfire before the, you know, the Surat al-Mustaqim. Surat al-Mustaqim is only for the Muslims. By the way, when I say Muslims, I'm talking about even the Muslims during the time of Jesus Christ, during the time of Moses, during the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim, all those, the Muslims who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and followed the messengers. That's what I mean by Muslims. So think about it this way. A Surat is the bridge to paradise. And under the bridge is hellfire. A sirat in this life is not physical. It's a metaphor. It's it, Well, it's not a metaphor. It's a real thing, which is, it's a concept, which is the road to guidance, right? So it's a concept. It's literally a manifestation. Because again, the sirat in this world, which is the road to guidance, is also the road to paradise. Because if you are guided, inshallah, you're going to end up in paradise. So it's also, so do you see how beautiful like subhanallah, how beautiful it is that the Surat al-Mustaqim in this life is the road to heaven, to Jannah. And that road to Jannah, meaning the road to guidance, the, the road, the path to becoming a better human being, a better Muslim, will manifest physically on the day of judgment as an actual physical bridge. And how you lived your life regarding that Surat, did you follow the right path? Did you follow the right path to paradise, to guidance? We'll reflect on how you're going to cross the bridge on the day of judgment. Again, if you were trying your best to follow the right path, a surat al-mustaqim in this life, that you're trying, you're striving, you're doing jihad with yourself to be a better human being will be manifested physically 
and how you cross that bridge on the day of judgment. Subhanallah. So Satan is saying, I'm going to sit literally I'm going to block their sarat, their road to guidance. Hence, also block the road to physical, you know, heading to Jannah it, physically. And again, let me, I, I don't want to confuse you. If Satan blocks you from being guided, technically he blocked you physically from crossing that bridge to paradise, right? So he's, again, him doing this in this life will also be manifest. He won't physically, he's going to go to, by the way, hellfire way before the Sarat. But he will, technically, his actions will affect you crossing that bridge physically. That's what's meant here. Now, Niam, for example, our sister Niam, uh, she is a new revert. Uh, now, thank you so much for you know sending your email. And she basically has a story. She told me the story that you know she secretly converted to Islam, and her dad would never accept her as a Muslim, as far as she knows. Uh, and uh, you know her mom said that she's okay with her becoming a Muslim, but not now. When she reaches the age of 18 Now I think I believe Sister Niam is now 15 years old MashaAllah uh, And she discovered Islam At a young age Alhamdulillah And she already took her shahada But her mom is like She doesn't know that And she basically saying When when you reach 18 You can become a Muslim Not For now, no And if, you, if 18 comes if When you are 18 And you still want to become a Muslim I'm going to help you but right now, I won't. And here's the interesting part. And by the way, I know someone personally, a sister who became a Muslim, I believe, two years ago. And her parents still believe that when she's going to grow out of it, she's going to you know, leave Islam. Once she became a Muslim, they said, we give you a year and you're going to you know, leave Islam. She didn't. Then the second year, uh, we're going to give you a year. You go, don't worry, next year you're going to leave Islam. Wallahi, her parents, non, of course, non-Muslim parents. She didn't. And now her, her third year and she's getting married, inshallah, to a Muslim brother and she's 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 loving Islam. And they keep saying, no, 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 you're going to leave. You're going to leave. Because deep down inside, that's what they want her to do. They wish that she would leave Islam because Islam does not match their lifestyle of you. And again, they could be religious Christians, so it bothers them on that level as well. So I understand when a parent saying, well, wait until you're 18 so you are more grown up. And by the way, Islam reaches the hearts of anyone. You don't have to be fully, again, it will be great if you're fully grown and you grasp a lot of concepts when it comes to Islam. But Islam hits every single human being. It is fitra. Fitra in Arabic means it's the natural instinct. Our nature as human beings is to be Muslims. But again, societies, our parents, families, they change us by becoming you know, non-Muslims, by becoming Christians, Jews, or even atheists. It depends on the society that we're living in and the people who are surrounding us. But we are born as Muslims. By The moment we are born, we're Muslims. When we grow up, that changes according to family members or to society in general. So, again, her... Her mom maybe thinks, well, when she grows up, when she's like, you know, an adult and she's 18. By the way, adulthood technically is not at 18, it's at 12. So she's already an adult, mashallah. Again, I'm ta not talking legally speaking. I'm talking about like she's an adult in terms of like her brain, right? She's an adult. She understands what Islam is. That's why she did research. She has. She said that she also met a friend who is, uh, alhamdulillah, sharing the same interest in Islam and all these things. So she's not a little kid. 
However, legally speaking to the mom, okay, when she's 18, she's a grown-up, she can do whatever she wants. But maybe also sub, like subconsciously, the mom does not want her to become a Muslim. She believes that, hey, by the time she's 18, three years from now, she's going to leave Islam. She's, she's going to leave the idea of Islam because she, she doesn't know that she became a Muslim already. So that is basically, uh, again, a summary uh, of, of the email that, uh, you know, uh, Sister Niam sent. Now, she, first of all, she's asking how could she convince her mom? Now, first of all, she had a, a question that she's saying, okay, now let's say that, you know, when I'm 18, I'm going to have to kind of recreate her taking the Shahada process. She already took her Shahada, right? Now she said, well, if I'm 18 and my mom is like, okay, let's do it now. You're convinced, let's do it now, and you know, take your shahada. Now, does she have to kind of quote unquote fake her process of taking the shahada in front of her mom? Because if her mom, you know, if she knows that she already took the shahada, then wouldn't she be upset that she already did that and without telling her? Well, my answer to this is very simple you don't have to make a ceremony out of it, you don't have to. You can tell your mom, your mom, by the way, taking uh, it's beautiful if you have a ceremony of taking your shahada, beautiful. It's not mandatory. The majority of the companions, when they became Muslims, they just took their, they did ghusl, which is they did tahara, uh, purification. They went and they washed themselves from the, all the filthiness from them being, you know, non-Muslims, uh, and they did, literally they did a purification. They took a shower, ghusl, and everything. They washed every part of their body. They made wudu without even making wudu. They just because they didn't know how to make wudu at the time. But you know, like they took a shower and everything, and then they became Muslims. They announced la ashhadu anna la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. I bear witness that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only God worthy of worship and Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is his my, uh, final messenger and prophet. That's it. So there's a. I hope there's no misconception that you have to have a ceremony for your Islam to be accepted or your shahada to be accepted. That's not true. Yeah, announcing it to the people that you know care about you, that's amazing, but you can take shahada at your house, in your room alone. Nothing's stopping you from that. So you can go tell your mom, mom, we don't have to have a ceremony. You know, I just, I'll take the shahada in my room or I'll take my shahada in front of you. That's fine. Without, you know, recreating and having the, what if people in the mosque, they already know that you're Muslims, you don't want them to be confused. And, you know, so again, you don't have to tell your mom that there is a ceremony. There is actually, it's not, again, you're not lying. There is, ceremony is not necessary for you to become a Muslim. Hence, you can just easily tell your mom, hey, I'm just going to take my shahada. It's just a few words that I say and that's it. So that is regarding the whole ceremony thing. So you can deal with that, inshallah. Again, if people want to celebrate you again, knowing your circumstances at the masjid, at the mosque, and they know that your mom didn't know, that there's that's fine too. I'm just trying to make it easier on you, so you don't have to, you know, go through this whole process again, and you know, risk of confusion and people like saying something or so that that it's that simple, inshallah. Regardless of whatever is easier for you to do, inshallah, you can do. Now. How do you keep trying to convince your mom about converting? Now, all you have to do is, and, and this is very simple. And, and by the way, that goes to another listener. And, and I'm addressing, inshallah, both. Which is, uh, I believe, Brother Ian. And Brother Ian told me that, you know, he, uh, he uh, alhamdulillah, recently also reverted to Islam. And he would love that his family would revert as well. So how would he go about preaching Islam to his family? Now, uh, and also he had another question regarding, like, uh, he said that, you know, th th his family, they own a dog, and he recently f 
found out that, you know, having a dog in the house invalidates the salah since dogs are impure. And of course, when you pray somewhere, they have, you know, you have to, it has to be pure. So the dog being in a place where you pray kind of invalidates the, the prayers. And inshallah, you didn't know any of this, so you're good. However, you try to, you know, pray in a place where the dog doesn't touch or make sure that it's clean before you pray and it's purified. And, you know, that's that. And I know that your your, your family are non-Muslim, so convincing them to get rid of the dog or to, you know, give it to someone else would be almost impossible in your case. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from you all the praise. But don't worry, inshallah, you didn't know. And now you know that, you know, whatever you, the area that you pray in, just keep it pure. And inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would accept from you. But anyway, Ian and, and Niam, they, Niam has a different idea. Niam wants her mom to be convinced of her conversion, not her mom's conversion. And Ian has, and, and by the way, I think both like both stories or both scenarios, they have the same answer. Ian wants his family to, inshallah, revert. So how are we going to go about that? Well, inshallah, this is, in my opinion, again, this is all, now there is no such uh, as like a standard procedure in Islam that tells you how to preach Islam to people, but we can extrapolate from the sunnah how the Prophet you know, used to do it. And that should be, inshallah, our, you know, our guidelines to how to convince people of Islam. Now, again, uh, let me just you know, uh, emphasize that Niam wants, again, and I'm pretty sure Niam would, lo- would love that her mom would become a Muslim as well. But what she's concerned about right now, how d- does she break the news to her mom or you know, to get her mom on board of her conversion? So, inshallah, uh, here's the thing. First of all, and, and by the way, before I start giving any answers, this is critical, my dear brothers and sisters. Whether you are not a, a non-Muslim right now, or you're a Muslim who is just in the beginning of your journey, rest assured, and I mentioned this, I believe, <clears throat> in, in a, a couple of episodes ago or even an you know, episode or two ago, being a Muslim is critical. Being a Muslim is literally whether you're going to spend eternity in hellfire or not. That's like, it's that critical. So being a Muslim is critical. If you're scared about anything after you becoming a Muslim, it's okay. We'll address that. But do not let that affect your decision of being a Muslim because let's go back to the Satan's plan. He wants to scare you enough that you would change your mind about becoming a Muslim. That is the plan. Well, you ruined that plan by thinking that way. The most critical thing in my life, as a non-Muslim, I'm talking to non-Muslims right now, who are thinking about becoming Muslims. The most critical decision that you'll ever make in your entire existence, wallahi, I'm not exaggerating. Wallahi, I'm not exaggerating. Is you becoming a Muslim. That is the most critical decision, the most important decision in your entire existence. Because if you, for example whatever is you're scared of after becoming a muslim if that makes you change your mind and you do not become a muslim then you lost your hereafter your entire hereafter because you are exposed to islam you are convinced with islam yet some certain things made you scared of being a muslim or made you afraid or made you hesitant of be- becoming a muslim you lost your hereafter unfortunately and that's not good news for anyone not good news for anyone. Allah does not enjoy punishing us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, 
What would Allah do with punishing you? However, Allah made rules. And he said, you have to follow certain rules. If you follow those rules, you're going to go to Jannah, inshallah. You're going to have a big shot of going you know, to Jannah. Don't follow those rules willingly. Then that's it. So Allah is very clear. So whatever you're thinking, whatever is making you hesitant, put it aside. Because there's always a solution for everything. Wallahi. Like I said before, being a major sinner is far better than being a non-Muslim. If you're a Muslim who's come down, now I'm not saying being a major sinner is good. It's, it, it's terrible. It's actually very dangerous. But it's far more dangerous. Actually, it's not even dangerous. It's like, it's, it's game over kind of thing if you're non-Muslim, if you die upon shirk, if you die upon anything but Islam, knowing about Islam. Do you, are, do you guys understand? It's game over. It's not like, oh, this is bad. No, 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 this is game over. Because you will spend eternity in hell. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was very explicit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I forgive anything. I'm willing to forgive anything, even if you don't repent. However, repentance makes it better in terms of forgiveness because it guarantees, inshallah, that Allah will forgive if you repent sincerely. But even if you don't repent, if you forget for any reason, Allah is willing to forgive anything. That's what Allah said. This is in the Quran. Allah said, Allah is willing to forgive any willing to forgive any sin except dying upon shirk, being a mushrik, being a non-Muslim, basically. If you die upon anything but Islam, you're done. Game over. So think about that. As a non-Muslim, think, wallahi, it's critical for you. Not for anybody else. Not for anybody. This is your hereafter. And it will help you in your life, by the way, by accepting so many things that you wouldn't accept unless you're a Muslim. Like, you know, hardship and fate and qadr and all these things. But you will immediately lose your hereafter. That's it. gets guaranteed. So whatever you're scared of, <clears throat> you have to overcome that and think that this is, being a Muslim is far more critical than whatever you're scared of. And whatever is worrying you about your lifestyle or your family or whatever. So keep that in mind. Always keep that in mind. This is critical. Being a Muslim comes first for a non-Muslim. This is your goal in life. Wallahi. I'm not exaggerating. Your goal in life is to become a Muslim. Anything else comes after. Anything else comes after. Subhanallah. Now. How do you preach Islam? The Prophet first of all, did not go and say, you need to become a Muslim. Well, he, he did that. However, he manifested his actions because the Prophet was really well known in his community. He was known to be the honest, he was well known that he was trustworthy and honest. So when he told people about Islam, the majority didn't believe in him and they made fun of him. However, None of them said that he was lying because he was known, again, he never told a lie in his life. Now, your situation could be different because you're preaching to your own family. Maybe you're not, them. the media is affecting your family when it comes to their perception of Islam. So you go and be like, you guys need to become a Muslim or, or you need to, you know, be Muslims because you're going to, you know, lose your hair after, like I just said, or you're going to, you know, God forbid, burn in hellfire for eternity. They will dismiss you right away. They won't take you seriously for one simple reason. They don't believe in what you believe in. So how do you convince someone to become a Muslim? Or in Niam's case, how do you convince 
your mom that you want to become a Muslim. So let me talk about Niam first. You will show her that you're a better person because you're interested in Islam, because of Islam. When you do something good as a daughter, you tell her, I'm doing this because, you know, you know. did you know that Islamically speaking, if I, you know, do this and do that, uh, God will reward me? Simple, you know, you drop some knowledge in a very simple way. Subtly, be subtle about it. Let's say that you are you have some money and you know want to feed the poor or you know help help someone out. You tell her, do you know that Islamically speaking, the rewards are incredible? And actually, once you are a Muslim and you have money, it's mandatory for you to help the poor. Why? Your mom will ask you, why? Why is it mandatory to give up money for the sake of the poor? Well, because we believe that the source of our provision, the source of our wealth, comes from God through our jobs. See, very logical explanation. You don't have to go and tell her about our deep theological beliefs. Very simple. And it's our belief as well, but it's very simple. So when God says, take some money, it's a test for us. It's a test for us. God gives us money and says, give up a portion of that money for the sake of the poor. And Allah wants, or you know, God wants, if you're talking to your mom or to non-Muslim, any non-Muslim, God wants to see what are we going to do with that. Do you know that you know I, I have to respect and love my family whether they are Muslims or not? Things like that. You know that Islam tells us we should not drink, we should not engage in haram stuff in our courts before marriage. You know, we should not engage in gambling because it, it, it destroys us financially. We should not do. I know. I mean, usury. You know that usury is keeps everyone in debt. Islamically speaking, user is not allowed. All these things. And again, you will find the right situation. Don't worry, inshallah. Allah, by the way, before you do all of this, ask for Allah's help. Make dua and ask for Allah's help. That's number one. Number two, have some knowledge. Those steps I mentioned before, I remember. Have some knowledge so you know what you're talking about. Because if your mom starts to debate you, what's going to happen? If you don't have enough knowledge, you're going to stutter and then she's going to be like, well, you know, go look up what you want to look up or go read more on what you're talking to me about and then let's have a discussion. So just go prepared, whatever the topic that you want to talk. And again, you can, out of nowhere, randomly can mention, did you know that Islamly speaking, this and this and that, and, it, and help. And it, I believe for Niam and for Ian as well, study when it comes to the, 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 the stereotypical issues, the controver the quote unquote the controversial issues when it comes to Islam, learn how to respond to those things because those are the first things that your family will ask you about. Once you get those things cleared out and in a very simple fashion, I promise you your family members will be more open to Islam. You know, in Ian's case, talk to your family. I know that Ian has you know, his family, they have issues with Islam and all these things. Talk to your family. Do not, again, you know your family better than anyone, whether, you know, for Ian or, or Niam, you guys know your families. Are they the type of like, when you tell them, hey, hey, let me tell you about Islam, like very upfront and very straightforward, would they accept that or would they would like it or they would accept it more if it comes with a specific indirect introduction about Islam, indirect stories about Islam. I think that works for the most, in most cases, the indirect stuff, hints about Islam. When they see you as a better person, by the way, when something good happens to you, you go and tell them, you know, I made dua, I pray to God, to Allah, 
and Allah gave me what I wanted. And if something bad happens to you, you go and tell them, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught me how to be patient. Taught me that this was meant to be, that was already written, and there was no way that I could have avoided that you know, bad situation, that calamity. But Allah gave me the steps. See, and what we fail to mention to each other and to a lot of people that Islam has, wallahi, a solution for everything. Everything. When a bad thing happens to you, when something, when you, when you hit like a hardship, Allah taught me to be patient and I shall be rewarded. There's a big, bigger picture that I'm looking at. Then when they see you patient in the times of calamity, when you know non-Muslims freak out, usually they'll be wondering why is he so or she's so calm because of Islam. This is fascinating. Again, some people, by the way, everyone gets. Uh, I'm talking about non-Muslims. They get attracted to Islam from various angles. Not everybody thinks Islam is the truth, and they become Muslim. Some people. They get fascinated by the fact of the Day of Judgment. It, make, it makes them... By the way, the Day of Judgment, alhamdulillah, I was born a Muslim. I lived all my life as a Muslim. But what made me more religious and made me start studying Islam, you know, formally studying Islam and, you know, officially becoming, you know, a student of knowledge is the topic of the Day of Judgment. One time I heard, I was listening to a lecture and it fascinated me and I started studying more and more and more and I took it very seriously. That's, that was my angle. Even though I was born a Muslim. So don't don't think that Islam is the truth. It is that will be the only angle for everyone. That is not true. Islam is the truth. However, everyone is different. And everyone accepts a certain version of the truth. As long as it's the authentic version. Like for example, the truth is there will be a day of judgment, and Allah will have his court on a day of judgment, and Allah will judge everyone. Some people could be f- more fascinated with this than the idea that. You know what? Jesus is not the son of God. It does not make any sense that there will be any, like God will have any family members, any children, any spouses, any. Some people will be fascinated, more fascinated with this than the day of judgment. And some people will be fascinated with, the day, fascinated with the day of judgment more than this angle. Some people will read upon the angels in Islam and they will be fascinated. Some people will read about the idea that, connect, that making dua. And Allah answering your prayers in the you know in a proper way. All these things are different entries to Islam. All these topics, you know your family. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I'm giving in-person lectures, depending on the age, uh, the the age of my students, I start my topics. So, for example, if I'm talking to young. Uh, students who really don't care about what's right and what's wrong, what's hard. They're like young, they're youth. Like, you know, maybe between 15 and and, and 25. Then I immediately go to the Day of Judgment because I know it will capture their attention because it's stories that will happen in the future. And again, that that captures the minds of certain people. It captures mine. You know what I mean? So I know the angle. Sometimes where people are more mature, I start talking about, okay, so this is the Islamic theology. Where does Islam come from? Let's talk about the sources of Islam and how do we know that Islam is the truth? Two different entries or entry points to Islam based on the receiving group of that knowledge. You could do the same thing. Depending on the listener, depending on the person that you are talking to, you can have an entry point. Again, you'll find people in this podcast, listener to that this podcast, 
like I've had listeners, people tell me, once you start talking about women's rights, and of course they were sisters, you can tell, or non-Muslim uh, girls or, or, or ladies, they simply said, well, I, you got my interest. I started listening once you talked about women's rights or women's role in Islam or you know the issues with women in Islam or the stereotypical things about women in Islam, all these things. I had people tell me once you talked about this, the, the 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 biography of Prophet Muhammad because they like history stuff, history history lessons about the Prophet. It's again, do you understand? People are different when it comes to their acceptance of an idea or a belief. So no, you know your parents or your siblings better than anyone. So Niam, you have to start working on that, and again, make it happen organically. Do not like make it a very structured organized topic that you have to no 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 make it happen organically because at the end of the day your sincerity will what it will is what will matter to them they want to see if you're sincere or you're just if you have an agenda and talk to your mom about this ian same thing for your family let it happen organically let it happen in a very spontaneous way do not plan a topic just plan in answers yeah like read upon whatever you want to talk to them about but do not you know do not like put it in their faces. No, 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 no. Just make it very simple and very casual conversation. And again, at the end of the day, if your family members have a good heart, you know, if if, if your family members they have good hearts and everything, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will guide them to Islam like He did with you guys. So it's that simple. It's all about the hearts. Allah guides whomever He wants based on the hearts. If your heart is dark, and Allah is the only, by the way, Allah is the only one who knows the hearts. Not even angels know about the hearts. The intentions, it's all it's all up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, angels know about the intentions because they have to reward you based on that. But I'm saying like the one who judges based on the intentions is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows if your mom, for example, is, is going to accept Islam or not, or she's going to accept the idea of you being a Muslim or not. All you have to do is just lay out the truth, lay down the truth and tell her like, okay, this is what it is. And do it in the most simple way possible. And the rest is up to Allah. Do not, by the way, do not overstress yourself when you're talking to, uh, you know, about Islam to non-Muslims. Don't do that. Do your best. Yeah, do the work. Do the effort. Like I'm doing right now, alhamdulillah. And many Muslims are doing around the world. But the results, trust in Allah. Allah will give you the results that are basically appropriate and they are befitting to you and your family inshallah now let's talk about the second issue which is celebrating holidays with her family now niam her, her, her mom said you cannot like like i said she, she said you cannot become a muslim and uh until you're 18 but un, that means until 18 she has to celebrate christmas with them or pretend that she's celebrating christmas with the family now celebrating christmas it's it's a topic on its own for muslims this is something that's simply not allowed in islam as a muslim you are not allowed to celebrate christmas because christmas is all about even if it's economical uh, holiday and it's actually not religious but it's identified as a religious holiday you cannot deny that and it's about god having a son you know the earth and the heavens shake from anger whenever someone claims that allah has a son you know, in the chapter of Maryam, verse number 88 and 89, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? People say that Allah has a son. Allah is saying, 
you, you, you said something that's preposterous, blasphemous. Look at this. So this is the chapter of Maryam, verse number 88 to all the way to verse number 91, actually. Allah is simply saying, look at this. The, 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 the heavens, the skies, were almost split open. And the earth will shake and also split. Will start to crack. And mountains are about to collapse. Just because people are every time that people claim that Allah has a son. So imagine this. Every time people, this is in the Quran, like I said, this is, there's no debate about that. Every time people claim or celebrate in this case that Allah has a son, the heavens are about to, which is the skies, the seven heavens, the seven skies, are about to split open. Earth is about to crack open. And the mountains are about to collapse. Out of anger. Can you imagine? Out of anger. That people are claiming that Allah has a son. Because it's not befitting. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Because Allah said what in, So we said This is verse number 91 Now the verse right after Verse number 92 It's not befitting to Allah To have a son Not befitting to have family members Allah is the only God The only divine entity In this existence Or any other existence So Allah is Literally, this is the answer to those who say, can we celebrate Christmas as Muslims? Do you want to be part of this? When the heavens and the earth and the mountains are about to literally explode out of anger because people claim that Allah has a son. And of course, it angers Allah that people are so ignorant to come up with such a ridiculous, preposterous conclusion. And you don't want to celebrate Christmas? This is to the Muslims who say that. Now, in Niam's case, and I'm not trying to, you know, Niam to scare you or anything like that. You, you're, you're not technically, you're not officially a Muslim in front of your family. Try to avoid the gathering. Try to avoid. And by the way, actually, that this part talking about Christmas, that makes me want to answer another uh, one of our listeners by the name of Adam. Adam, again, thank you so much. So Adam was telling me, and again, I told you, I read Subhanallah. Today's topic is a collection of. Many, many questions. So Adam, uh, thank you so much for your question. And Adam uh, uh, was telling me that, you know, his spouse, she, she's a non-Muslim, she's Christian. And, you know, uh, uh, she uh, celebrates, you know, Christmas, Easter, and all these, you know, uh, uh, non-Muslim or Christian holidays. And he knows that they're shirk, he knows. And he does not plan on celebrating them. However, he's talking about like, if I you know, uh, attend, uh, you know, lunch or any non-religious uh, activities with the family just, just to support his wife, you know, and all these things, would that be okay? You know, would that be a major sin? Now, the thing is, and this is, this is again, back to what Niam was saying and back to Adam's question. Again, Adam, thank you so much for your uh, question. So now, celebrating, like uh, getting together, to have lunch is fine 
but having a, an event out of Christmas that is a problem. And in in for example, in Adam's case, your fam- your 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 wife's family should be understanding that this is a big deal in your religion. That you're not willing to compromise this. However, if they're because it's off the days it's holidays and it's off and the family want to get together. Because by the way, I'll tell you something. I get I get together with my family and friends on Christmas, not to celebrate it, but because this is the one of the few times that we have off since we you know have uh, a nine to five kind of job. So our time off is this, and we get together not to celebrate anything. Of course not. But we get together because this is the only time that we have off and we can see each other. So when you gather together because it's the only time that you have off, non-religious related any anything, then that's fine. But if it's religiously related, it's this lunch because it's Christmas lunch. And yes, even if there's no kind of, there's, there's this spirit of, of celebration is in the air. If that exists, then you should not be part of it. And they should respect that about you. This is a big deal. And, you know, inshallah, you have a loving relationship with your wife and her family. However, when it comes to very, very specific things, they should be mindful of that. And uh, Allah knows best. But I believe that if the lunch is just, we're off, the family's off, let's get together. I do that myself. On, on, on you know, uh, whatchamacallit, on Christmas, sometimes we get together because, again, we're off. Uh, on certain celebrations, like the you know New Year's uh, Eve, we get together because you know New Year's Day is, is we're off, so we get together not to celebrate New Year's Eve, not to celebrate Christmas, of course, but just we, we're all Muslims. We're not even we don't even have a reason to celebrate. We're just get, getting together because it's off. So if that's the case in Adam's in, in Adam's case, then this is fine. However, you should make it very and you do it in a very respectful way. Again, that's one of the things that I would tell Ian and 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 Niam and Adam. When you are conveying something about your religion to someone who's close to you, a family member who is a non-Muslim, like Adam's wife and her family, like Niam's parents, like uh, Ian's family, do it in a very respectful way. Don't be like, listen, this is what I believe in and that's it. I'm not going to compromise. No. Be like, listen, this is a big deal to me. Like, for example, like uh, I, I told you, I work in a company, right? And my team, you know, once in a while, they would, you know, let's go for a happy hour, go to the bar, have some drinks and laughs and all these things, right? Of course, I don't do that. I don't go with them. Of course, I don't, you know, do any of these things. So whenever they come to me, in the beginning, of course, when we, the, when they, you know, when they first were getting to know me, now they know. They were like, hey, let's let's go. We're going to the bar across the street. Let's go. And it's going to be a lot of fun time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. I would love to hang out with you, but I'm, I'm, I, I can't. This is a big deal for me. I, I cannot do this. I, ca- I can't go to the bar and, and I can't, you know, be around, you know, a place that it's literally just for drinking. It's it's a big deal in, in my religion. And I'm, you know, and they're like, oh, oh, we get it. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's fine. And, you know, so, so, someone else will come who didn't get the memo will tell me the same thing. And I will politely like uh, sorry you know i would love to be with you but the problem is i can't be in this setting and, and again they, they understand as long as you're polite about it and you're not like being aggressive or anything like that they will understand nobody will be like how dare you you know like not wanting to come with. when you explain it and you explain it in a very simple way then they'll understand 
you know, like in another situation, I had a friend of mine, a coworker who would help me in, 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 in one of my projects. He helped me a lot. He gave me, he had a, you know, like a 20, 26 years of experience. He, he knew what was going on and he would always helping me out when I needed to. And I wanted to, you know, give him a gift. So I told them, listen, man, whatever you want, uh, what do you want? I, I want to give you help me a lot, you know, in, 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 you know, being able to, you know, get this, this project uh, off my list. So like, what do you want? And he goes, uh, I don't want anything. Thank you. And I'm like, no, 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 I do insist. I really insist. What do you want? And then he says, okay, if, if you really insist, then I want, you know, a bottle of wine, whatever you pick. And I'm like, uh, I you know what? I'll give you whatever you want as long as it does not contradict my my religious beliefs. I, I can't get you wine. It's 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 I'm sinful if I do so. I'm I'm really sorry. Uh but I, I just can't. He's like, but but I'm not a Muslim. Like so so what? You know, I'm I'm gonna be the one to according to your religion be punished, but you won't. You're not drinking. I'm not asking you to drink with me. Just buy it for me. And I'm like, yeah, the problem is whatever is haram upon us, whatever is not allowed for us, we cannot purchase it and give it to other people. So I can't buy you a drink, even if I don't drink as a Muslim. And he's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, because what, what we believe is is harmful to us. We're not selfish. It's harmful to you too. So we don't even you know, encourage you to do it or buy it for you if we believe that it's harmful you know, to us. Hence, it's also harmful to you. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting, and you know, I was like, uh, whatever, whatever else you want, and then we move on. So as long as you're being explaining yourself, and you're doing it in a polite way and in a loving way, they'll listen to you. They'll, no one will be like, oh, this is so offensive. It's so offensive if you're truly are being offensive about it and disrespecting them, and we can't do that in Islam. But if you do it in a nice way, they'll and you, you know, let's sit down, let's talk, let's talk about this. Let me tell you why this is a problem for me. You know, this goes for Adam uh, and his wife and his, you know, wife's family. This goes for Niam when, you know, talking about certain things with her mom. This goes for Ann uh, talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, with his family about, you know, Islam and all these things. Just be, be nice about it. Explain. And, and first of all, you need to get the knowledge. Then you need to explain it, right? Because if you can explain something that you're not knowledgeable of or you don't know anything about, then... You, you're gonna look bad it's that simple but as long as you have the knowledge that you know the appropriate knowledge and you're conveying it in a nice loving way inshallah you should not face any problems so going back to niam you you don't have to be part because niam's situation is different now because they don't know she's muslim so she can't convince them that she cannot be in a pub in, in, a, in a christmas gathering for example so what can she do well whatever she can do is she should avoid any setting that has any rituals, talking about that Jesus the Son of God. She should avoid it as much as she can. Now, if this is going to cause her harm or issues with her family or big problems, then, and there's no other way but to sit there. And again, do your best to avoid it. But if they have no... Now, your situation is different from Adam. Because Adam, they already know you're a Muslim. There's nothing for you to hide. So when you tell your you know wife's family that this is very... Uh, contradicting and it's a problem in Islam they sh and again in your own nice way then they should have no problem for Niam her situation is different they don't even know she's Muslim knowing she's Muslim could cause her a lot of damage and a lot of problems in her family at least for now so you should if you have no choice come up with anything to not attend but if you have 
you know, um, no choice. But you can attend while knowing deep down inside that this is something that Allah resents, Allah hates, and Allah doesn't like. And make istighfar, ask Allah for forgiveness, and Allah understands your situation. Just try your best to avoid it. Again, you're still young in term in your parents' eyes. Uh, they, like you said, your dad has your you know control over your phone and all these things. So you can't defy them. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem. At the end of the day, Allah is the one who protects us and takes care of us. But we also have to do our part to you know care for ourselves. So my point is, if this is going to cause you ma- major issues in in the family, try then be subtle about it you can attend you can like you know be in and out you don't have to be consistent attending and pretend that you're there but deep down inside you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only God he has no sons and inshallah may Allah and Allah knows best about this but that's my own opinion just to let you know because again there's no very specific opinion about this I believe that if you have no choice as long as because this is let me tell you this story this is actually a story that happened during the time of the Prophet one of the companions was traveling with a mini army. Then a king seized the army and they surrounded them. And then they sent one of the commanders and then they went to that companion, the leader, and they said to them, you know what? Say that you do not say bad things about your Lord. Tell us that you do not believe in Allah and you do not believe in a prophet. Now, if he didn't do that, he was going to die. And his the rest of his this is actually a very famous story. And the rest of the army was going to die, the Muslims. So the companion found no way but to pretend to like curse Islam, say bad things about Allah and the Prophet. Deep down inside he did not believe any of them, but he had to to save, first of all, the the lives of his the lives of his companions, his you know, the Muslim army, and his life as well. Then they were let go. They were released. When he reached Medina, when he talked to the Prophet, he told him the whole story. He said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I'm I'm afraid that I'm I committed a blasphemous sin, a major sin. So the Prophet said, What happened? He told him the whole story. So the Prophet asked him, Did you believe in what you said when you were saying it? The companion said, La wallah, by Allah never. But it was breaking like it was breaking my heart to say those things and bad things and I don't believe in Islam and uh, you know Allah is not a God and all these things. I, I could not believe what I was saying, but I had to. Then Abraham said, Then inshallah you shall be rewarded for saving the lives of your, you know, companions and saving your own life. As long as you didn't believe it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understands and he knows what's in your heart. So now we're not saying that Niyam is being threatened like the companion. However, there's a, some sort of a similarity that she has no choice. Otherwise, her life will be damaged. Uh, she li- still lives with her parents. So it's going to be hell, basically, for her. So the only way for her to be able to practice peacefully is to pretend sometimes that, you know, she she is with her family. She sits with gatherings. If Again, if she has no choice, if you have no choice, Niam, then go ahead and do it. And Allah knows what's in your heart. But the first chance you have, again, to not, if you have a chance to not, be there and celebrate go ahead and do it but if you have no chance then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understands our you know circumstances now Niam has another question which is again something that faces a lot of our new converts or people who even want to convert which is how to do acts of worship how to worship Allah how to worship God as a Muslim now like it's overwhelming there are so many things that I have to do what do I do right well, like we mentioned before, just take it step by step. 
take it step by step. Easy. You know, there are videos, and I know that you said in an email that, that you saw multiple videos that they didn't basically uh, were very explicit. But if you look up on, on YouTube, uh, how to pray for new Muslims, you know, how to pray the daily prayers or how to pray for new converts. It There is there are videos that, mashallah, with graphics and everything, they show you in detail what to do, right? Prayers, like it is the most important thing that you do as a Muslim. Not getting it right in the first, like in the first try, the second try, in the beginning is fine. Allah understand, as long as you're trying and you're learning, you shall be fine. And I mentioned, I believe I mentioned in multiple episodes how to pray, right? Like you have to recite Al-Fatiha, the first chapter. This is mandatory even if you're reading from a paper temporarily. If you're reading from a paper, you know, temporarily, then that's fine, you know? Uh, just don't be lazy. Don't see like, okay, I have, I still have to learn and then you can postpone and slack. Don't do that. Allah knows, again, your intention. But in the beginning, if you don't know how to do something, do not freak out. Do not panic. There's a lot of things that you have to do as a Muslim, but wallahi, once you get accustomed to them, it's the easiest thing. Okay, pray five times a day, ah, five five minutes every prayers. Not a big deal, you know, not a big deal. Uh, if you fasting one month every year, it's fine. Again, fasting could be difficult for you because you never experienced this before. You do your best in the beginning. Do your best in the beginning. Allah understands and you have to pressure yourself. Quitting drinking, quitting certain things, dating, all these things. These are all things that once... By the way, everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade is for your own benefit. Everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, it's mandatory. It is for your own benefit. You will feel better as a human being physically and spiritually and mentally once you start to get accustomed to all these practices, Islamic practices. You will feel great, subhanAllah. But like everything, you need to learn in the beginning and inshallah, you shall progress in a better way. And don't worry, Allah understands your capabilities. Allah does not burden you. Remember, Allah Allah will never put a burden on you or test you with something that is beyond your abilities or beyond your capabilities. Don't worry about that. Allah is fair and Allah is just. So inshallah, that should not be a problem as well. Now, another thing that uh, Niam is asking, like what kind of clothes she should wear without giving away that she's a Muslim, right? Without, you know, basically explicitly telling her parents that she's a Muslim, you can wear modest clothes. You don't have to cover yourself yet, but wear stuff that modest, do not show, you know, parts of your body, do not show skin as much as you can. And all the, again, what's critical is you being a Muslim. Now, when you cover your body, that's fine. And if your mom, for example, asks you why, why you're not wearing like something that's more revealing, what, what's 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 the change? What's up with the change in your the way you dress? Then you can easily be like, "Mom, listen, we talked about this. I'm trying to learn about Islam. Don't say that you're a Muslim, and I'm trying to see how women, Muslim women, how can they take this? How could they be covered all the time in public? I'm just trying." It's, by the way, it's an easy argument. You're curious about something. You don't have to tell your dad. It's just between, because your mom knows about your curiosity already, right? So you tell your mom, like, mom, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn about Islam. So let me, let me learn. You know, let me try a few things. It's not a big deal. It's not, would you hate that your daughter is covering her body? You know what I mean? And then you explain to them, it's not oppressing like women or anything. Like if, if your mom says, well, this is oppressing, why would you be like, why? What's the what's so liberating in showing my body? 
What is so liberating about it? It doesn't make any sense. What's liberating is my personality, my commitment, not my body. I'm not defined by my body, right? And you can do all, a lot of these things, and inshallah, that should be. And again, it should not be. Islam is a very logical religion. It makes sense. You just have to know how to go about it and explaining it to other people. But inshallah, this is a very logical point. And inshallah, again, your mom uh, shall not argue with you that much. It doesn't make any sense to argue about, like, you know, how to dress and how how to dress unislamically. It doesn't make sense, right? And of course, uh, one of the final questions. Now, I, I'm not going to be able to answer all of Niam's questions because, like, she's asking about names of books and certain things. I, inshallah, I will send an email to her, uh, you know, answering that question. But for now, I just want to answer the things that are related to our topic so for example she's asking what kind of like which prophet do i you know try to learn about of course it's prophet muhammad he, his biography is critical for us it's very unfortunate that a lot of muslims born muslims they don't know much about the prophet he's the one who technically saved us you know allah saved us through him he suffered remember he suffered doing da'wah he suffered doing preaching islam suffered physically mentally all these things we need to learn about him because if we don't love him enough it jeopardizes our way in like our road to jannah or our path in, to jannah we have to learn about the prophet because we have to follow his sunnah part of the things that will lead us to jannah is not just quran my dear brothers and sisters quran and sunnah combined how will you learn about sunnah when you don't know anything about the prophet Learn as much as you can. I have a whole, alhamdulillah, season. I believe, again, it was season four. It was all about Prophet Muhammad wasallam. Learn and read more about him. You know, learn about his life. Learn about how he lived his life. Wallahi, you're going to learn so much. And if you follow, he should be our ultimate role model. Men and women. He should be the ultimate role model as a human being. And so I believe that you should learn more about Prophet Muhammad more than anyone else. Again, all the prophets are blessed. We love them all. But our Prophet is more special than any other prophet, at least to us, right? So that that was for Niam. Again, Niam, thank you so much. And I'm sorry if I miss, you know, pronouncing your name. But I, I'm, 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 thank you so much for, you know, sending in. Uh, all those questions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you steadfast. And I'll make dua for you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will keep you steadfast until you at least reach 18 and you are able to announce to your parents that you are a Muslim. And inshallah, as long as there's Allah with you, as long as you ask for Allah's support, Allah will always be there. And inshallah, there's nothing you won't be able to do as long as it's for the sake of Allah. Uh, so uh, now I want to move on to Carolyn. So Carolyn is actually the same age as uh, as Niam. She's 15 years old. Uh, she's the from the Czech Republic. And she has, again, she has this similar situation. Now, the only difference between Niam and Carolyn is that Carolyn is not a Muslim yet. Carolyn wants to become a Muslim. She's very convinced with Islam. She knows that Islam makes sense. It is the truth. However, she's scared. Like I said, she is worried about wearing the hijab she is again she believes that you know the country she's in is a racist country uh, they don't take uh, minorities lightly she has a problem they have problems with muslims she's afraid to wear hijab walking in the streets her family friends neighbors people look at her weird she might even get attacked and she's scared and she really wants to become a muslim but she's afraid and she basically came across one of the episodes where i said that tomorrow is not guaranteed which is true 
You could still be scared, but then you might die upon being scared. You might die today. Again, death is not according to your age. It's not according if you have a disease or illness. You could die complaining about nothing, having no medical issues at all. Go to sleep, never wake up. And she understands that and she's worried. And here is my advice to Carolyn. Like I said in the beginning, shaitan, the devil, Satan is emphasizing your fears. He wants you to be scared. He does not want you to become a Muslim. He doesn't. You becoming a Muslim is a problem for Satan because he lost one. He wants to win all the people he can win so they can enter hellfire. So he'll do whatever it takes. Him and his followers, the rest of the devils, the rest of the shayateen. And you are a perfect case for him because he, you're afraid of something, of wearing hijab, of you know acting like a Muslim, fasting, praying, and you know this could cause you issues. And he is emphasizing this. He is playing on your fears, playing with your fears, playing with your emotions. Do not let him. At the end of the day, we all live. The majority of the people you know emailing me, they they live in Western countries, in Europe, in America, in you know across like in in non-Muslim countries in general, even in the East, right? Now, who being a Muslim, like I said, is your number one priority. If you're not a Muslim, then wallah, it's game over, unfortunately. So become a Muslim first. That's that's your step. You're convinced of Islam. You believe Islam is the truth. Do not hesitate. Become a Muslim. Convert. Then worry about what comes later after. Become a Muslim first. Do not hesitate. Again, if you're convinced, I'm not saying if you're not, if you're convinced, because again, like, like you said yourself in the email, tomorrow is not guaranteed. If you die, too late. What you wanted to do is different from what you've already done. Allah won't judge you because you wanted to be, because the uncle knew that Islam was the truth. He was just too scared that people would say, well, he died upon other religion than the religion of his you know, ancestors. Don't do that. Do not. This is the biggest mistake, wallahi. For you or anyone who wants to become a Muslim and because of they're afraid of their lifestyle could cause them issues and problems, they don't become a Muslim, they don't become Muslims in the first place or, you know, even they don't even become Muslims to be able to battle this. They just, you know, escape the battle before the battle began. That's a problem and that's what Satan wants from you. Become a Muslim, then little by little start learning about Islam. And I promise you, once you learn about Islam, you'll know that life is a test. There's nothing wrong with wearing hijab in a non-Muslim country. Yes, you might get some racial slurs or some bigoted people, you know, trying to say something. But rest assured that Allah is protecting you. Be with Allah. Wear the hijab whenever you're ready. Again, at the end of the day, if you take it step by step, you will be encouraged. Kill those whispers of shaitan, of Satan. Kill them. That's what's preventing you from doing your best, from being the best version of yourself, which is basically a Muslim. Now, you could be better than just a Muslim. We said that, a believer, by doing good deeds and you know, uh, enjoying good, forbidding evil, all these things. Do not let shaitan control you. He is literally controlling your life. Shaitan is controlling your life. Satan is controlling your life. Do not give him the chance. You know, Do not give him the chance to control your hereafter. Because he is, like we said, he's going to block your road to guidance. That means he will control your hereafter. You don't want him to control your hereafter. So worry about becoming a Muslim first, then inshallah, step by step, you shall be encouraged. Learn about hijab. 
learn about hijab you know learn about how to be i'm sorry my my voice is weird because i'm a little i'm a little sick <clears throat> but learn about hijab you know learn about how to become a better muslim and step by step when you learn that allah is always there for you allah assigns angels to protect you then inshallah you shall be you know encouraged you will have that boost that only a muslim could have but for now you just have to win the first battle with Sayyid, which is becoming a Muslim when you are, inshallah, already unconvinced. Do not let your fears about the future control your actions. So that is for Kellen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, keep you steadfast and guide you to the right path. And again, if you have any questions, please uh, just let me know. And inshallah, I'm always going to be there. And all the Muslims are going to be there for you. Because we, once you become a Muslim, you're part of one nation, inshallah. Okay. Now let's move on to uh, Joseph. So I uh, uh, again, Joseph, thank you so much for you know sending in your email. And Joseph, is, he's not a Muslim as well, uh, and he uh, is thinking he's really he's been curious about Islam. He's been studying Islam, and you know he he believes that Islam. You know, again, like it makes sense. However, he had some questions. And again, it's the same, subhanAllah, it's the same thing. It's the same manipulation of Satan with people. He's saying that, okay, now he is uh, a white American. And he's saying, how how can I go about getting involved in Islam in, in real life? Like, what if I decide to convert one day? You know, how does one go about converting? And would the community of Muslims be accepting of someone who is white American? Right. And, uh, you know, he's asking about like prayers. Can he, you know, does he have to pray in Arabic language? And does, uh, you know, one have to be officially converted to Islam for their prayers or relationship to God to have any meaning? So, again, Joseph, thank you so much. And first of all, uh, all Muslims are accepting to any new convert from any, you know, skin color, any background culture, anything. It is a blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, is, is, it gives to a human being when they're becoming a Muslim, and Muslims love that. You know, like, a lot of people sometimes wonder, why are you happy when people tell you that they're accepting Islam? You don't even know them. I get that question, by the way. I get that question asked. Like, why are you so excited? Why do you get emotional? When a complete, quote-unquote, complete stranger comes and tells you, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Muslim now, so why do you get so happy? You don't even know them. Here's the thing. First of all, when someone becomes a Muslim, that means, alhamdulillah, they are saved from eternity in hellfire. That's good news. If you have a heart and you are able to help saving another human being, whether they're Muslim or not, saving a life from eternity in hellfire, that's great news. Now, Muslims... As, as a community, we as a nation, when one is added to us, one individual is adding to us, this is great, this is beautiful. You know, this is this is wonderful that we're, you know, we're increased by, by one, we're increased by two, we're increased by three, by a hundred. Because we should love one another for the sake of being Muslims, for the sake of Allah. That's why I always say, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, because we are truly brothers and sisters in the sight of Allah. One nation. So when someone comes and be like, I want to join that nation, this is wonderful. So don't worry, Joseph. You will be, inshallah, if, again, if you're like, I'm talking about the majority of Muslims, unless they have 
their own issues. This is different. Everybody, again, all Muslims, uh, again, all human beings are flawed. So some Muslims could be flawed. But you, I promise you, you will be accepted by everyone. Because first of all, that's what Allah SWT told us, what the Prophet ﷺ told us, that anyone is welcome to become a Muslim. This is great. This is a celebration for you and for us, inshallah. So don't worry about that part, inshallah. And be involved in the community. Like go to the imam of the mosque that you're, you know, that your local mosque and ask them to help you out with, with Islam and they will, inshallah, help you. I promise you that, inshallah. Now, do, do, do we always have to pray uh, uh, prayers in Arabic uh, language? Like, do you have to pray in Arabic language? Absolutely. Now, it's it's you can learn a few, very few things to be able to pray. Like I said, the videos are there out, uh, online. Just say how to pray uh, uh, for you know new Muslims or uh, yeah new Muslims, and inshallah, you're gonna find a lot. It's just you have to memorize the first chapter of the Quran, which is very short. But even in the beginning, when you become a Muslim, you don't have to memorize anything. Again, Allah is all merciful. Just you can read it. And again, there's something called the transliteration, which is basically you read the Arabic words in English letters. Just read that temporarily. You cannot keep reading that forever. Uh, read that temporarily until you get a grasp of you know reciting and memorizing. And by the way, you can keep, you can keep playing the first chapter of the Quran, the chapter of Fatiha, and inshallah. Again, don't worry. Just do the the, the thing that is the most critical thing. Once you're convinced, you can become a Muslim. Now, the, answering your question, do you have to officially convert to Islam for your prayers to be accepted or to have a relationship with God? Absolutely. Now, you can always have a relationship with God to try to become a Muslim. No one can deny you that. But for your deeds to be accepted, for your du'as to be accepted, for your supplication and all these things, you have to become a Muslim. Now, you see non-Muslims you know, living a great life. However, if you want God to have a like to have a relationship with God, an open relationship with God, ask him for anything, ask him for guidance, for support. You have to become a Muslim. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, officially means you just take the shahada. You don't have to take it in front of a group of people. You have to just you can do it on your own. You have to do ghusl, you have to purify yourself, wash yourself, go take a shower, then take the shahada. Say, Ashadu anna la ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. I bear witness that Allah is the only God worthy of worship, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is his final prophet and messenger. That's it. That's it. All you have to do. And then that means you are officially a Muslim now. So I hope, uh, Joseph, that I was able to answer your questions. Now, Another question that comes to us from uh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel from Nigeria, uh, he basically uh, sent in, he's a new convert, and he sent me uh, a few questions that he would like to answer uh, regarding his you know, recent conversion to Islam. And again, Emmanuel, thank you so much for you know, sending in your email. Now, Emmanuel said that his parents are not happy with his, uh, with his conversion to Islam. And they're not... Uh, pleased with him and he kind of lives in some sort of fear because every time he he tries to pray but then he lives in their in their in their house or with them so they walk in on him and he's afraid that they would walk in on him see him praying so that means he doesn't pray all five daily prayers he probably like from the email he prays like three of them sometimes and he never prays all prayers because again he's afraid that every time he prays that they would walk in on him 
and uh, he's thinking about moving out, selling his apartment or something, or renting out his apartment, and basically she can be free to practice Islam. Uh, so now, first of all, you cannot, as a Muslim, you, now you're a Muslim, right? And uh, you should be able to practice Islam as much as you can. Like I said, if it's going to cause you harm because you live with your parents, then the, this is a true problem. And you have to try your best to, you know, practice Islam without... Uh, bothering your parents now the same thing we talked about with niam and ian and 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 everybody else like it goes with carolyn like it goes that you want to talk to your parents about islam you want to even and i know maybe they are rejecting completely the idea of islam but you can do it in certain ways that will make them more susceptible of or more accepting to your becoming a muslim however try to not miss any prayers Try to your best to make sure that you pray all the five daily prayers because this is critical in Islam. Now, you're a Muslim, which is great, alhamdulillah. Try your best to not miss uh, miss out on any prayers. Now, another thing is that, uh, and and he was saying that, that, that we talked before and that you it's a major sin to be disobedient to your parents. However, when they're non-Muslims and they are asking you to not become a Muslim, then you don't have to maintain uh, an obedient relationship with your parents. Because the Prophet ﷺ told us what? لا طاع لمخلوق في معصية الخالق The Prophet ﷺ explicitly said you do not obey someone, any person, your parents or anybody, by disobeying Allah. That is the number one rule. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Luqman said فَإِنْ جَهَدَكَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ لَا تُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُطُعْهُمَا if they, talking about the parents, ask you to commit shirk, to not become a Muslim anymore, do not listen to them. Still be good to them. If being good to them is toxic to you, then lessen your relationship with them. But always do not be the, what's the, what's the word? Do not, do not harm them mentally. Do not abuse them mentally. You know, do not try to be aggressive and yelling. No, no, be kind to them. But if they are being too toxic to you because you're a Muslim, then, you know, maintain some sort of boundaries. Maintain your space away from them because it's healthier for you, right? But at the end of the day, if if it's impossible to be good to your parents while they are keep pressuring you to be a non-Muslim and to leave Islam, then again, maintain distance. But at the same time, be good to them. Ask about them once in a while, even if they are bad to you. And this is straight up coming from the Quran. Now, uh, Emmanuel also is asking uh, that he is a Forex trader. And he was told that Forex trading is haram, uh, but this is his only source of, of income. So he's asking, how would he survive? Now, before I answer this question, let me tell you something. Now you're a Muslim, alhamdulillah, which is critical. This is the most important thing in, in our lives. Now you have to ask yourself, with enough knowledge or with proper knowledge, what comes first, Allah or my friends and family? Allah or how I live my life? The answer should always be Allah. Now, Allah told us certain things. Forex, as far as I know, now I'm not an expert, I'm not a financial expert. Just to let you know, as far as I know from the information that I've gathered about Forex, that they, in general, on a broader scale, they indulge in usury. 
you know, because the Prophet this is the hadith, because also he was asking about a hadith that there's no hadith that tell that tells you that forks is haram because forks, forks didn't exist at the time of the Prophet, but there are hadith that proves that certain activities when you do forex trading is haram. One of them is that when you do cur- currency exchange, it is halal as long as you do it immediately on the spot. If you have money, for example, if you bought a sterling pound and you have dollars, right? And you exchange your dollars for sterling pound and then you left them with you for a while and then the sterling pound became very high in in, in, in rate and in, you know, in, uh, in value and you decided to sell your sterling pounds four dollars back to get more dollars then this is completely halal however again what i understood from my limited knowledge about forex trading is that you can you know buy in margins and you can hold on to the currency exchange and that you know hold on like not immediate transaction the process said it has to be an immediate transaction i have the money the the sterling pound is higher in value i'm gonna sell it right now now there's some sort of options and you hold on to certain options and and holding on that means you have a higher rate while you're holding on that's not immediate that is not immediate and that goes against the sharia that goes against the islamic way of earning money or financing also there is the concept of usury you know when you buy margin from someone or you buy from someone and then make profit on the partial part that you bought again when you make money off of money when you again when you say i'm I'm, when there's any type of interest involved we mentioned this multiple times it is 100 percent haram and the prophet said this is there's no denying that multiple hadith multiple verses in the quran riba is 100 percent haram the concept of riba is when you make money because you have money not when you invest because here's the thing let me tell you what is the difference between this and buying currency right uh, or currency exchange when you for example buy sterling pound and then it drops in value you lost money if you decide if you have to sell now you lose money this is called investment this is halal however if you're always going to gain profit no matter what happens with that money this is usury 100% like bonds the concept of bonds you cannot buy bonds because simply bonds are straight up usury the money that you gain from bonds are haram 100% so i hope that answers your question uh, emmanuel now the last thing that uh, emmanuel was talking about is that we mentioned that having female friends is haram for, for males of course and vice versa for females and we should have not have close friends or friends in general that we talk to, go out with. So he's saying, how are we going to get to know someone if you don't have female friends? Well, here's the thing. When you decide to get married, with the intention of getting married, we mentioned this in, I believe, in the opposite of how to find a spouse in Islam. You go to that person. But this used to happen in the West even. The West that are so, quote-unquote, so liberal when it comes to dating in the West, a generation ago, when you wanted to get married, you would go to the family of that person, of the girl that you want to marry, ask her out with a chaperone, talk to her, find out more about her. Okay, is she going to be, you can go out twice, three times with a chaperone, with a halal chaperone, someone from her household, someone who's called a mahram. Then, 
you say, oh, this person is suitable. I promise you, few settings like that, you'll form your opinion. You'll know if she is. Because by the way, if someone is faking their personality for a long time, they'll fake it even if you're quote-unquote friends. It's that simple. So you don't need to be friends with an opposite gender to be able to find out. Because that means every, again, quote-unquote friend is to you a potential wife. That means they're not friends. There's a romantic potentiality in it. You're, there's a potential romance that will happen between you if you decide that this girl could be your wife. That contradicts our, again, pleasing Allah comes first. If you want to get married and you see someone you like, there's nothing haram about seeing someone you like. Seeing her in terms of like not talking to her and seeing her like going on dates with her. No, no. Seeing her like if you see someone, you like her. If you see her multiple times, you like her. Then you can go and propose and ask to go out before you officially propose and see her personality. See how she talks, how the level of her religion and all these things, right? So inshallah, that should not be a problem. Wallahi, that's not a problem. In today's world, many brothers and sisters that I know personally, they get married like that. They talk with the intention of getting married. We're not friends. We're not buddies. We talk in a, in a very halal setting about what do you want in life? What do you want in a spouse? And these are all constructive and very productive kind of meetings between a male and a female if they want to truly become, if there is a potential of them being you know, uh, married to each other. So that should not be a problem, inshallah. And again, like I said, at the end of the day, what matters is what's critical is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not going to obtain happiness by displeasing Allah, by making Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala angry or, you know, you know what I mean. So please Allah and wallahi, I promise you this. Your life will be a lot easier and you will be satisfied and happy, inshallah. If you make Allah happy, Allah will make you happy, inshallah. Now, moving on to another listener, Matthew. Matthew, thank you so much for, you know, sending in your email. And Matthew, subhanAllah, is also, he's also 15 years old. And he's been researching Islam. And he obviously believes Islam is the truth. He's very curious about Islam. That's why he's even, even emailing me in the first place. Now, Matthew, like, every, like the rest of our listeners, he wants to become a Muslim. He has fears of certain things with the family. SubhanAllah, like, look, this is Satan. He always makes you f- afraid to become a Muslim. But again, I'm going to answer, inshallah, Matthew's questions. However, like I said to everybody else, uh, do not, is, being a Muslim is critical. Be a Muslim first by, like you said in the email, by taking the shahada, by taking the testimony of faith, uh, by reciting it, saying, Rasulullah. Once you do that, worry about the rest of the stuff. We can now, okay, we're now, I'm, I'm now a Muslim. Let me worry about these things. Being a Muslim, believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet is critical for your hereafter, like I mentioned before. Now, Matthew is saying, first of all, he has a Christian girlfriend and he's saying that they're not sexual or anything like that. And he would he wants to know if he becomes a Muslim, would he be able to marry her? Yes, short answer is marrying a Christian is okay for a Muslim man. Now, we talked about like, okay, the problems that this could cause in the future, there are problems, but it's allowed in Islam. There are opinions out there that you shouldn't do that in a Western country because, again, if you get married and you have children and your wife, you you have a fight with your wife and you guys decide to divorce, the children will be 
for your wife to basically raise hence they won't become muslims so there is an opinion against that and they say that to marry a non-muslim like a christian or a jewish person should be in a muslim land we talked about that opinion and i i follow up personally however your case is different because you are in love with that girl and you b- believe strongly that she is the one for you now again this could change god knows i know to you right now trust me i've been there this is there's no way this could change but this could change with the years, you know, you can move on, you can move on. But if the, if you guys don't, you are, Islamically speaking, allowed to marry her as long as she's chastised, as long as she is knows God. She doesn't have to be a devoted Christian, but she knows God. She's, she's religious, like I said. And what's most important is that she has no problems with Islam. She's not going to stand in your way of raising your children, inshallah, your future children as Muslims. That nullifies that she's good for you. If she has a problem with Islam, then I'll be honest, your life will be a living hell. Imagine that your own wife that you live with has a problem with your religion, your way of life. That's going to be a problem. And it's going to be a bigger problem for your children growing up if that conflict is. We mentioned that. I believe it was recent episodes that we talked about this. But as long as all these, you know, all these check marks are there and she's good and everything then inshallah uh, you shall be fine now uh, also uh, 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 Matthew saying that he lives with his parents because uh, again he's 15 he lives with his parents and his parents they have dogs and they have you know hanging pictures and we already said Islam um, angels do not come into a house that has dogs or hanging pictures and owning a dog is a problem because again it makes your house impure and you won't be able to pray and because you won't be able to pray your prayers just are invalid if they are around the area that you pray in which is technically the house now matthew's case is different because he lives with his parents he has no choice like he said he it's against his will in the email so you should be fine inshallah as long as again whenever you have your own place then no dogs no hanging pictures of things with you know living souls so you're good with that so don't inshallah don't worry about that because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is again all merciful allah knows understands your situation you live with your family you have nowhere nowhere else to go then you're fine inshallah and you shall be uh, that that shall be no problem for you and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from you now matthew is also concerned about the five daily prayers he's saying that once he becomes a muslim inshallah can he pray once or twice in the beginning to get used to it once you become a muslim this is the biggest milestone wallahi in anyone's life to, to cross so once you become a muslim do your best to pray five times do your best again it's five minutes a prayer 25 minutes in the entire day now i know that you're going to struggle in the beginning because you don't know now there are videos out there on youtube you can just recite that chapter of, like I said, like I mentioned before, you can just recite the chapter of Al-Fatiha, the first chapter in the Quran. It has to be in Arabic. But it's, Wallahi, praying is so easy. Watch, if you practice it, you'll be fine. Now, if you're very stressed and you don't know how to, sincerely don't know how to pray, then do your best. But you are required to pray the five daily prayers, even if you read from a book how to recite the Quran, if you follow the movement from like a YouTube video or whatever, that should not be a problem, inshallah. But as a Muslim, yes, learning Islam and you have to take step by step, but when it comes to the active worship, do not delay it. Because it's only 
you're taking away from your own rewards. You want to get the full rewards. So inshallah, do those things. And, and, and inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will support you. Once you ask you know, for help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, that shall be given. Also, you do not have to learn Arabic. Like you said, he mentioned in the email that does he have to learn Arabic to become a Muslim? Absolutely not. You just have to learn the chapters that you have to recite and all the things that you have to recite during prayers. Other than that, you do not need to, to learn. On, it will be great if you can learn the Arabic language. But if it's a hassle for you, if it's a problem for you, you're not required to as long as you can recite few surahs in the Quran and know how to you know, say Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, all these things and inshallah, you shall be fine. Now, uh, last question and actually two questions that are left uh, for Matthew. So he's asking, can he play in pub uh, public places like a park? Absolutely. I do it all the time, by the way. When I'm out with the family and I'm about to miss a prayer, I pray in the park. I have like a prayer mat that I bought from Amazon. It was like, I think like 15 bucks or so. And I take it with me. It's like portable, like it's a, a pocket kind of prayer mat. And I keep it in my car. Whenever I go anywhere, um, I have it with me. When I have to pray and I don't want to miss out you know, on the prayers, I basically put it in a park and in a, in a, in a, I, I pick like an isolated spot. I see the, I, I, I bring out the compass and I look for the northeast and that's where I pray. This is the qibla. This is where I pray. And then, yeah, that's it. It's really that simple. I do it all the time. Sometimes I actually do it on the road, on a highway if I'm traveling. Uh, and that happened, by the way, recently when I was traveling. Uh, if I'm traveling and driving my car on the road and uh, I don't want to miss the prayers and I need to combine. Because, you know, while you're traveling, you can combine and shorten your prayers. But sometimes you're going to miss the entire thing. You're going to miss two prayers in a row. So for, uh, for us to prevent that from happening, I park the car on the highway in a safe spot again where like on the shoulder and if there's like some trees or whatever that are accessible i just go uh, off the shoulder and then i start praying and that's it it's that simple so you can alhamdulillah the prophet said allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the entire planet all of earth a masla for us a prayer for us a prayer place for us a masjid for us can you imagine the entire earth is a prayer masjid for, it's a, a masjid for us you can pray anywhere you want as long as it's not filthy that brings me to the the last question that he was saying when he goes to public school the only place he can pray at is the bathroom which is you cannot pray in the bathroom number one you cannot because it's a filthy place like you said in the email we're not even allowed to mention the name of allah in a bathroom by the way you're not allowed to because it's a filthy place and all the jinn and the evil jinn the, the shayati and the devils actually they live in the bathroom they live in the filthiest places but I believe even in public school, there's a prayer room. Any classroom, any empty room, inshallah, you can pray in. But do not pray in the bathroom. Find any empty room. And again, I believe many, many public schools, uh, they have a prayer room or any, any room. Any room that is empty, just again, take your prayer rug, the pocket one, uh, you know, unfold it and just pray in the Qibla and that's it. Inshallah, that should be easy. And uh, again, Matthew, thank you so much and I hope that I was able to answer your questions. Now, moving on to uh, Chanel. Now, Chanel is, uh, she sent me an email. Uh, also, she's thinking about becoming a Muslim, but there are a few questions and concerns that she, you know, would like, uh, would like me to clarify and, you know, kind of further explain. So first of all, Chanel, thank you so much for your question and uh, for your email. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide you to the right path. And again, before, before I answer any of your questions, being a Muslim is critical. 
whether you like the answers of of the questions that you sent me or not this is t- this is on a different level again i'm i, I know uh, i sound like a broken record but it it is reality being a muslim is far more critical than answering any questions that comes after like okay do i have to pray five times a day you do but not praying five times a day is far better than not being muslim in the first place no matter what your question will be, do I have to wear hijab? Yes, you do. But if you do not wear hijab and you are a Muslim, it's far better than not being a Muslim in the first place. So anything that you want to ask about after being a Muslim, any concerns that you have, that shaitan, again, that Satan emphasizes to you, that makes you afraid and scared to become a Muslim, any answer will be, Becoming a Muslim is far better than not doing any of those things or quitting whatever the haram that you're doing. Now, you want to be a true Muslim? You want to be a better Muslim? Because at the end of the day, why do you want to become a Muslim if you don't want to follow the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know what I mean? Like, if you don't want to follow the guidance of Allah, then why do you want to become a Muslim? Because if you just want to become a Muslim, it's it's not cool to become a Muslim. I'm assuming you want to become a Muslim because you believe that Islam is the truth. Islam makes sense. Okay. Well, if Islam is the truth like you believe, then that means you have to follow the source of Islam, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God. You have to follow his commands if you want to be a successful Muslim. So I just wanted to tell you this before I answer any of the questions. So here are the questions. So she's saying in in the future, if she decides to convert to Islam and marry a Muslim, is she allowed to have a dowry? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you should have a dowry. And the Prophet ﷺ said it could be as minimal as possible. It depends on your contract, the marriage, you know, whatever you agreed on or agreed upon when it comes to writing the marriage contract. So if you ask for whatever, $1,000, you get $1,000. If you ask for five, if you ask for 500,000, a million, if the person that you're marrying, if he agrees to the conditions and signs the contract, then he has to pay you that amount. So it's that simple. Now, your uh, second question is, how do I go about finding someone to marry in a halal way? We talked about this. We just answered this, you know, by being more involved in a, in a, in a Muslim community around you. By Again, there's nothing wrong with halal uh, gatherings to, you know, see. Uh, I Actually, I believe there are some Muslim organizations out there that they literally invite people to sit down and talk to one another and take notes and see if this person you know would be good as a husband or as a wife it depends on you know whoever you're talking to and then you you, it's in a very by the way very halal gathering i've been into um, i was not part of the, the 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 process i was there actually with my wife but we were there for a different a different event and the same uh, organization well i swear well i forgot the name but like the same organization was uh doing had a, a kind of a singles section it was on a boat as a matter of fact it was on a boat and uh we uh like they had the couples or, or like the family section and and they had the the single section the single section is literally a halal setting for men and women and by the way this is like there are multiple islamic organizations that they do these things so it's not that difficult will lie uh and again finding the right person could be difficult if you have specific you know um requirements 
But I'm saying like the process to find someone in the first place, inshallah, is not that difficult. So again, inshallah, that should be something that that's there. Yes, it's it is easy to again socialize in a halal way, in uh, you know being uh, you know involved in in, in in the Muslim community, and you can go to places like this. Inshallah, there is no uh, problem with that. Uh, now she's asking, uh, would I still need my parents' approval prior to marriage, even though they aren't Muslim? Uh, as a matter of fact, the biodynamous consensus of the scholars, no, you do not. Uh, you, but however, you need the approval of a wali. You need the approval of a wali. What is a wali? A wali is a guardian, a Muslim guardian, a Muslim male guardian. That's literally the translation of the word. So you need to assign some Muslim. Should be knowledgeable. So. The default, and I'm actually I'm in the middle of uh, uh, one of the people that I know. Uh, she converted to Islam, and uh, Alhamdulillah, I'm connecting her with um, the local Imam to be her wali. Uh, and it should be an Imam. It should be better to be an official Imam. That's the best uh, solution. If you don't know any Imams that could be your wali, could be your guardians, because they are they sit down with the groom with the person who's proposing to you. They basically maintain your rights. They protect your rights. They know the Islamic rights, and they ask them about the, you know the right questions, because again, just because you're a convert, that does not mean you don't have anyone to fight for your rights as a Muslim sister. So that's why the wali come into because he has to be. And again, this is in the Sharia. This is something that again you should get married. Well, you cannot get married without a wali. Whether someone you know who is knowledgeable or the local imam, and any imam would love to do that. It's a, something that you know people do for the sake of Allah. If you do not have, like I was talking to that that person uh, who you know she became a Muslim, and she said, if if you know if you insist on an imam, then you could be my wali. And I said, of course, if for some weird reason no imams are, are available, then yeah. However, it's better to have an imam to become your wali. So that wali, you tell them what they want. They have to have your mindset. You have to come to an agreement with them before they meet the the, the potential husband, right? Uh, so you know what you want. You tell him what you want. And inshallah, this is the smoothest thing uh, that, that, you know, and they ask for whatever you want and they tell you, they give you advice. I think you should ask for this. I, say, I think you should ask for that and all these things. And inshallah, uh, that shall be uh, better for you. So that is that. So now, uh, what does uh, another question is? What does dating actually look like? How do I know someone is uh, that answers the same question? There's no dating. It's a halal gathering. Dating is forbidden in Islam. Talking privately to someone uh, is 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 not allowed Islamically. So you can have a halal setting whether to get to multiple times with a chaperone and all these things to get to know the person, and that's basically the halal dating. If again, if you want to call it dating. Uh, now, can I be a Muslim and not want to have kids? Is it okay to take birth control? Now, you can be a Muslim and do anything. The only thing that nullifies your... We have, there are 10 nullifiers of Islam. You know, committing shirk, doing certain things, taking committing sins or doing something that Allah does not encourage does not take you out of the fold of Islam. We even said you can be a Muslim and drink alcohol. However, this is a major sin. You still can be a Muslim. So there's no country. You can be a Muslim as long as you do not willingly commit any of the 10 nullifiers of Islam, committing, you know, doing black magic, fighting uh, Muslims, like a Muslim army, just for the sake of fighting a Muslim army, uh, you know, making fun of the religion knowingly and all these things. Of course, above all, committing shirk. But you can be a Muslim and do anything. Now, 
Is it recommended in Islam to not want to have kids? Absolutely not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran tells us to multiply, to have kids. It is better for us in this life. And it, uh, if you want to think about it, logically speaking, when people get older, I know that a lot of guys and a lot of ladies, they don't want to have kids because they want to live their lives or they don't want to have the responsibility, of whatever the reasons are. There could be way more reasons beyond that. But at the end of the day, having a kid and raising them for the sake of Allah is an act of worship. And Allah is saying, spread your progeny, make them Muslims, produce. Takatharu, produce. Allah is saying like money, Allah is, is, is telling us, you know, the reality is money and children are the beauties of this life, of this life, not the hereafter. Now, how do you gain the hereafter with money and children? By spending that money for the sake of Allah. I mean, spending it on yourself, but do not forget the portion of for the poor and raising your kids for the sake of Allah. Now, your kids now, raising your kids, you get rewards unimaginable amount of rewards when you raise your kids in the right way for the sake of Allah. So this is something that you should have. And again, being sinful is not to you. It's again, far better to become a Muslim and sinful than not to become a Muslim at all. But it is not, it's not allowed in Islam to reject the idea of having children. Uh, And again, it's whether it's some scholars will say it's very recommended and you're not sinful if you don't do it. Uh, there's a lot of debate about that. However, the majority of that, if you reject to have kids, uh, it's it's you're just basically you're disobeying the commands of Allah. Uh, Allah asked us to produce and raise our kids for His sake and for you know teaching them the religion and spreading good in the world, you know. Uh, and you rejecting that for even for your own reasons is is not okay. So that is that is that when it comes to having children. Will it be harder to find a husband because I don't want kids? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, some men don't want kids, so you'll find those you know men that who don't want kids. So again, the majority of people, if you follow statistics, they would want to have kids. But you'll find people who don't want to have kids. So that, inshallah, also should not be you know a very difficult thing. Can I participate in Ramadan as non-Muslim? How do I do it respectfully? Just try fasting. There's nothing disrespectful about fasting. By the way, there is nothing disrespectful about fasting or trying to perform acts of worship as a non-Muslim just to learn about Islam or to know how it feels. Nothing. Do not hear anyone who tells you it's disrespectful or you should not do that. Ramadan comes, you want to fast and to feel how it feels like? Fast. You want to try to pray? Pray. Now, the question is, the real question is, would it be accepted in terms of would you get rewards? No. You do not get rewards when you perform acts of worship while you're not while you are a non-Muslim. Once you become a Muslim, every bit of acts of worship you do, inshallah, you shall be rewarded for. But there's nothing wrong with trying to because at the end of the day, think about it logically. When you do it while you're not a Muslim, you're not doing it for the sake of Allah. You're doing it to try, you know, like you're testing the waters. You want to see. Because once you become a Muslim, then everything or every act of worship you do is inshallah for the sake of Allah. So no, there's nothing wrong with that. And you can fast, even pray, go to the mosque and do whatever you want inshallah. 
Again, respectfully, of course. But yeah, you can do that. Is it okay to attend the mosque? Here you go. Is it okay to attend the mosque while being a non-Muslim if I am trying to learn? Absolutely. No problem with that. Like I said, you should sit down and learn as much as you can. And anybody who tells you otherwise, they're not following the sunnah. Because guess what? The Prophet ﷺ used to let Christians pray their own prayers in his mosque. Then later on, he would preach to them. He would be like when whenever they want to pray, they will he will let them pray. So if someone tells you you should not go to the mosque, are they better than the Prophet? Come on. So inshallah, that should uh, not have any uh, problem. Uh, again, uh, Chanel, thank you so much for your uh, questions. Now, uh, we have a revert from Belgium. Uh, that's all I got. He doesn't, he did not, or she did not. Uh, provide name uh, so uh, he uh, or she said uh, they uh, alhamdulillah uh, are new muslims they love the religion of islam they see the beauty in it and all these things so the question is why does allah subhanahu wa ta'ala need us to pray and just doesn't just grant us jannah why does this dunya exist if he could just have given us jannah uh, can we take atheists accountable for their non-believing in this case if only god knows the answer to this question isn't that Ignos. Okay, so let me explain. First of all, why does Allah need us to pray? Why? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a similar question. Why do you need to pass a test if you want to graduate? Why do you need to take a test? Why? Because everything good you need to work for. Even Jannah, even paradise is not for free. However, the price for paradise is you do what Allah told you to do, be good. It's not money. It's not a fee. It's actions. And those actions are things to make your life right now better and your hereafter also better. It's for your own benefit. Allah does not benefit from you praying five times a day. Do you think Allah benefits from you praying? Think about it, logically speaking. Allah wants you to discipline. Allah wants you to work for Jannah. That was our test, our ultimate test in the chapter of Baqarah. You know, قُلْنَا هَبِطُوا مِنْهَا جَمِيعًا فَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّكُمْ مِنِّي هُدًا فَمَنْ تَبَعَ هُدَيَا فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَهُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ Allah is saying after Adam failed in the first test, here you go. Allah accepted the repentance of Adam and Eve. However, you shall go down to earth and relive that test. Pray five times a day. Fast Ramadan, do certain things, forbid evil, encourage goodness. Do not do haram, do the halal, encourage the halal, all these things. Then you shall go back to Jannah. That's it. You won't feel the taste of Jannah unless you work for it. Like, you don't go ask a professor, why are you testing me? You know, can you just make me graduate, give me the highest grades and, you know, make me graduate and that's it? They will think you're crazy. Am I correct? You don't, you, you don't do that. You don't go to your boss at work and say, give me my paycheck, but I'm not going to work. I'm not even coming to work. I'm sleeping at home 24-7, but I need my paycheck at the end of the day. Again, they'll think you're crazy. So, Yes, Jannah, even Jannah you have to work for. The difference is you're working for it by doing good things, 
benefiting yourself and the community around you. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, can we take now atheists, if they're exposed to Islam, and almost every single human being now is exposed to Islam. Yes, they will be held accountable. Because what, what we know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show them the truth, not just by listening to you know, media who are like bashing Islam. No, 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 no. They will be exposed to the ultimate question. Does Islam make sense? And in their hearts, it will. I'm telling you right now, because Allah said, وَسَنِرِيهُمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ They will see our signs of the truth in the horizon. Meaning as clear as the sun. Every single human being will have this moment of, actually Islam makes sense. Now, the difference between you or anybody else who wouldn't take it seriously is that, now am I willing to work for it? Am I willing to change my entire life to become a Muslim and devote myself for the sake of Allah? If you your answer is yes, then alhamdulillah, you are from those who are saved. If your answer is no, I'm too comfortable in my own you know, life right now. I'm too comfortable in my bubble right now. I'm good. I don't need to pray five times a day and become a Muslim, right? Then, and, and we're talking about even atheists who don't believe that there is a God. This is the, by the way, atheism is the latest approach to, to anything. I won't be held accountable so I can do whatever I want. That's basically it. There's no God. There's no hereafter. There's no day of judgment. I can do, I can get away with murder in this life. If I get away with it in this life, I'm good. Never going to be held accountable. Does not make any sense. It makes this world very unbalanced. I mean, it makes not this world because this world is unbalanced. It is, there's a lot of uh, injustice in it, but it makes the concept of existence is unbalanced. That means there are no consequences whatsoever. And that is a depressing thought if you think about it. That means anyone who got away with murder in this life will never be held accountable. Anyone who was a victim of anything will never get their right back. Allah is not like that. Allah will hold us accountable on a day of judgment, inshallah. So that that is uh, basically my answer uh, when it comes to that. So uh, again, Revert from Belgium, thank you so much for your question. Uh, now, uh, moving on to uh, Daniel. Daniel uh, is, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, a new, he's learning about Islam. Uh, and he, uh, I believe he's not a Muslim yet. And he's saying that his parents and family have been trying to push Christianity and you know um, on him. And it never felt right. And Islam basically makes him makes him feel like this is the right religion and he uh, he has you know he's been nervous about looking for a mosque and going and asking questions now uh, he was uh, his question was uh, about uh, you know praying and how to pray uh, that I'll, I'll send you a link to a YouTube video inshallah Daniel but the, the the reason why I wanted to bring up Daniel's message is because it's the same thing his family, are against him being a Muslim. They're trying to push Christianity on him. They're trying to say, this is the wrong religion, man. Christianity is the right religion. Now, alhamdulillah, Daniel knows the truth. And my my advice to Daniel is, once you establish yourself as a Muslim, start manifesting that to your family. At the end of the day, people will never learn about Islam if they don't see a living example, right? 
Like I said, Allah will give every single human being the moment. You could be that moment to your family, to your friends. You could be the one causing them to be become Muslims. You never know. And again, you do your best. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Allah, you know, was never meant to be. Uh, but do not fall under that pressure. Do not feel any any sort of way. Inshallah, you know, it's it's going to be easy for you. And again, stay steadfast. You becoming a Muslim is critical. Once you become a Muslim, you literally made the most significant decision in a positive way in your entire existence. Wallahi. And every single one uh, who's in your place, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide you to the straight path and keeps you, you know, steadfast. Now, I want to move on to a very interesting email that I received from um, Sister Anna. Now, Sister Anna is from a country in Central Europe, and uh, she basically was learning about Islam. Just uh, to summarize the email, uh, she loved Islam. However, she met someone, a Muslim guy, uh, I believe at college, and he basically told her, do you believe in Allah? She said, yes. Do you believe in a prophet? She said, yes. And then he's like, all right. Then he made her take the shahada in Arabic. And he's like, oh, you're now Muslim. And she didn't even know that she was becoming a Muslim. She did not know that she was taking the shahada. She just said, yes, yes. And he's like, okay, then I say after me. And she's like, okay. And then he was very happy, but she was confused. And she's like, I, I believe in these things, but I didn't even know, which is very odd. Uh, I don't know if he communicated that to her or it was, I don't know. First of all, you, and again, I do not know his intentions. I'll never, I never will. You don't trick someone into becoming a Muslim. That doesn't make that defeats the purpose. A person who wants to become a Muslim must do it from their own will. They have to fully want to do that. Now, maybe he had good intentions. God knows. I do not know, and it was not clear in the email. But nevertheless, she started, you know, reading and gaining knowledge. And then she retook her shahada on her own because she believed that the first time did not count because she didn't even mean it, which is, by the way, she did the right thing. Um, now, the interesting part is because her family, again, as usual, her family don't like the fact that she's a Muslim. She started, you know, she, she covers her hair. She's trying her best, but she's trying her best without causing massive issues with her family and her community, right? Uh then that guy, that man, uh, I think he uh, proposed to her uh, without her family knowing. And then when, you know, uh, she met with his family, her, his father basically rejected her. And he said, you have to full, fully wear the hijab all the time to be fully covered. Uh, for that reason, you're not allowed to, you know, be engaged to my son. And they broke off the engagement. And he even said, uh, the, 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 the son, the, the guy himself, he said, I will still want to marry you, but I cannot marry you. I'm not allowed to marry you unless you are 100% covered. Now, she's asking, is it mandatory for me to be covered to get married to you know a Muslim man? And I have a commentary also on the, the, the story. First of all, Anna, thank you so much for... You know, for reaching out and for your email. It's a very interesting story and a fascinating one. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you steadfast. Now, I already gave my thoughts on the way uh, he made her take the shahada. It's very odd uh, and un Islamic. If he wanted to trick her 
Because at the end of the day, you're not doing it out of selfish reasons. She has to be convinced, or anybody, any Muslim, or any person who's trying to become a Muslim must be fully convinced. It has to be on their own. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, La ikraha no compulsion in the religion. You know, the truth from falsehood are now, you know, it's very clear. Now, first of all, there's no such thing as you're not allowed to marry a Muslim man without being fully covered. That is not true. Muslim men can marry Christian girls. Think about that. So being a hijabi is not a condition of marriage. Now, the validity of marriage, like there's no such thing as you cannot marry someone unless you're fully covered. That is preposterous. That doesn't make any sense. Now, a man might want it to happen. Like, for example, I might meet someone. I like her and everything, but I want her to be covered. So I say, I'm sorry, but, you know, it, it's, it's again, being covered is mandatory in Islam. Depending on the situation, on the circumstances, you know, you could try your best to be covered. However, if you have no choice, if you're forced, again, if you're forced to not be covered, then Allah knows. But if there is a way for you to be covered, you have to, as a, as a Muslim sister, as a Muslim woman, you have to be covered. Does it, is it a condition of marriage? Absolutely not. However, it, it depends on the person you're marrying. They could be like, yeah, you have to, you have to, co to cover yourself and, and I'm not going to be able to marry you. This could be, a, it's like for you, for example, saying you have to pray five times a day. You're asking him. And, and from what I understood from the email, he's not even a practicing Muslim, which is bizarre to me, but it is what it is. Like he's not practicing. However, he's like, it's a condition. You have to be covered. Something doesn't add up, and again, this is my own personal opinion from what I've you know read. Um, yeah, see, this is this is the thing, right? You are first of all, you're trying to please Allah subhanahu wa taala. However, uh, this could be a personal, like for example, if you ask me, right? If I was not married, I would want to marry someone who is. Uh, wearing the hijab or who is willing to wear the hijab as soon as possible you know something like that but it is islamically speaking you know from the islamic law not wearing hijab does not make a marriage invalid or does not you know prevent uh, a muslim sister from getting married that that that's not the case it could be that that was his father's will you know or his father's wish that he wants you know his son to marry someone who's covered but again, at the end of the day, it's just the whole thing is a little bizarre. And again, I don't know the person. I don't, I don't know uh, who he is or how he thinks and all these things. So I'm just speaking out of what I'm reading here, right? Uh, so I find it all a little bit weird that he's not practicing, which is a red flag, by the way. Uh, again, for, for you, Anna, you want to be with someone who is at least practicing Islam, who wants to practice Islam, who's willing to practice Islam, who at least the minimum is that for both of you to grow together. Religion is everything. It's everything to build your own house, to build your own family. If you're married to someone who's non-practicing, who's non-practicing, it's a problem in itself. And to me, someone who's not practicing, but he has rules that you have to be practicing certain things, 
is kind of a hypocrisy in my opinion you know what i mean like if i am a, someone who do not pray and i go on i propose to a sister to a muslim sister and i tell her you must be praying five times a day do you pray no i don't but you have to be praying it's just odd right so that is that is my opinion also do not forget you have to get married with a wali we mentioned that early on in the episode you have to have a guardian a muslim guardian to uh even if your family is is not muslims don't worry about that you need a muslim guardian someone who's knowledgeable in islam at least not a, not knowledgeable in islam someone who uh, if if you can't find someone not from the groom's side the wali cannot be from the groom's side cannot be someone that the groom knows or the again the potential husband knows no 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 this is someone from your side so they won't be biased right it has to be some sort of okay, like I said, a local imam to preserve your rights. You're getting engaged without a wali is not it's it's not allowed in Islam. You need to have your own wali. This is not allowed. So this now he's saying, oh, I, this marriage cannot happen if you're not, uh, you know, uh, wearing the hijab. Beautiful, wonderful. It's his own choice. He can choose whoever he wants. You know what I mean? But. Legally speaking, from an Islamic perspective, this marriage is invalid without a wali. You need a Muslim wali. If you don't know anyone personally, then go to the local imam in your local mosque. Or, again, let's say you don't have a mosque in your local town, then go somewhere close by. Wallahi, walk into any place, any mosque, and they will be happy to help you, inshallah, and they will reserve your rights. At the end of the day, that person cannot just marry you without, you know, paying dowry, without, you know, writing this contract that basically protect your rights as a Muslim wife. You have to understand that none of that will happen without a wali, without a guardian. So you need to figure that out. And again, it is what it is. It's if 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 he does not want to get married to someone who is not covered yet, that's, again, it's his choice. But it's not Islamically speaking an obligation to get married. I hope you understand that. Now, wearing hijab or wearing the, the headscarf is an obligation for every Muslim sister who is, you know, an adult. However, it's not an obligation for marriage. I hope that, uh, you know, I was able to answer your question. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, give you uh, guidance and make you, you know, uh, uh, from those who uh, are benefiting from, you know, the beauty of Islam. And again, do not let that discourage you. Because I know some sisters, they, they, they get married uh, to Muslims after they convert and then the, the the people that they, the, the husbands that they get married to are not that good of Muslims. They're not even practicing, and they are terrible husbands, and that kind of turns them away from Islam. Do not do that's a big mistake, by the way. Wallahi, that is the biggest mistake. Islam is perfection. Muslims could make mistakes, could be terrible sometimes. So do not judge Islam based on that brother. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you get married to whether it's that brother or someone else, someone who would be good for you, who would help you increase your iman and, you know, will make your life, inshallah, uh, better than it ever was. So I hope that, uh, you know, I was able to answer your question. Now, another question comes to us from Sophie. Uh, now, Sophie became a, a Muslim uh, recently, alhamdulillah, this year, as a matter of fact. And she had a question about, uh, again, it's one of those challenges, right? So she's she had a question about you know halal food and kosher food, 
And her question is actually very simple. She's like, do you find it easier to not eat out, uh, you know, because of the idea of halal food? Uh, uh, and you know, in, in terms of like finding restaurants that are you know that have halal uh, and kosher or kosher food, then it you know e- easier to basically is it easier to eat in? You know, like you buy your halal meat and you eat in. Like, was it easier or not? Uh, now, Sophie, again, thank you so much for your question, and I'll be honest with you. Um, it's I've never and and wallahi, Allah is my witness. Uh, it, it's been the easiest thing ever to find halal slash kosher food. So here's the thing. Subhanallah, and it's amazing that the, the, the amount of restaurants that are like, big, you know, first of all, non-halal restaurants are now adding halal meat. I'm talking about even in, in America here. They're adding halal meat, which is amazing. It's amazing. Again, like chain restaurants, uh, some of them are adding now you have to call and ask to be served from the halal meat in specific but again they have the halal option and the Muslims are opening more halal restaurants so in my opinion it's it's I've never uh, in, now in the beginning maybe when I first realized that I cannot eat non-halal food right I I had to look around a little bit but it wasn't even that much because it was already established right but uh, honest to God, it's it's the easiest thing now. Like, again, even if I go to, let's say I'm traveling. Like, I was, uh, I believe, uh, a couple of months ago, a few months ago, I was in Mexico, right? And uh, the the area that I was at did not have any, any halal food at all. As a matter of fact, the, the people that I've dealt with in Mexico don't even know what Muslims are, which is, subhanAllah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, they've heard about them on in, 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 in uh, on TV and all these things, but they actually never met an actual Muslim, which is just fascinating. So eating was very challenging. Again, there's no halal food. Now, in that case, if you're in an area or, again, you're going out with your friends and you're not going to you know necessarily a halal place, I do the, the 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 obvious choice, which is I eat seafood, uh, any any fish, seafood, anything that's because we as Muslims can eat any type of seafood, no problem. Um, or vegetarian option, like you can eat like any veggie burger or whatever. Any vegetarian option would be also you know good for you. Uh, so it's at, at the end of the day, where where you know halal restaurants are, mashallah, increasing in number. And even non-halal restaurants are now providing halal options, which is incredible. Um, and like I said, it's 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 easier now to again if you are in a place that there are no halal restaurants around you, then you could do the seafood option. Again, this is about when it comes to going out for you know eating food. Again, Subhanallah. Once you do something for the sake of Allah, Wallahi, all the doors open. Now. I also buy halal meat at home and, you know, we cook it at home. So it's both like it's it, at the end of the day, both are available. Uh, halal meat at home and kosher, by the way, even kosher meat, like uh, hot dogs or, you know, beef or whatever. If I can't find the halal option, I go to the for the kosher option. And uh, again, it's, it's it's available and we're allowed to eat it because it's identified as it is food or the meat that slaughtered according to 
the religion of the people of the book, which is in this case Judaism and, and kosher food. The problem is there's no such thing as Christian food. Uh, and that puts a big question mark on what is the source of the food. Whoever slaughtered the animal, did they mention the name of God? Because that's a mandatory thing when it comes to why why halal food and kosher food are allowed for Muslims, but any unlabeled food does not count. You can't eat meat from a random restaurant or you know even a chain that's not identified as like literally kosher or halal or even Christian. There's no such thing as Christian meat. That's why halal uh, meat and kosher meat are the safe, you know, they're safe options for us as Muslims. So yeah, I do both and I don't find any problems, uh, uh, you know, doing so. So again, Sophie, uh, thank you so much for your question. Now, uh, moving on to our uh, next uh, listener, Natalie. Uh, Natalie has been on a journey to, you know, embrace Islam and learn more about Islam. She's, uh, you know, she's done a lot of research and she's actually been a long time listener uh, here on Delving into Islam. Again, thank you so much. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide you to the truth and, you know, uh, uh, basically increase your knowledge and, you know, keeps you steadfast. Now, Natalie sent in a few questions. Now, I want to start by the evolution one. So Natalie is asking about uh, Islam's take on evolution. You know, the idea that we were monkeys and then we evolved to being human beings. Uh, First of all, uh, we, as we all know, we get our knowledge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding, you know, the birth of this existence, the birth of this world, our birth, you know, our origins. We mentioned that a lot. And there is no debate about the fact that this is completely rejected in Islam because it's just not true. How do we know that it's not true? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply told us how he created mankind. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply told us in the chapter of Saad, verse number 75, Lima Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was basically referring to Adam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam with his bare hands. Lima Now, if Allah created the first human being and Allah did create the first human being, how does that fit in? How does the idea of evolution, right, fit in that we were monkeys and then we became humans? It is completely, it just doesn't make sense. Right, so that is number one. Number two is that you have to understand that these are all speculations and theories. Even if they provide so-called proof, it's not proof. They were not there. You know who was there? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah told us exactly what happened. Right? Now, looking at it even from, it's actually degrading to mankind that we were monkeys and then we became humans. And here's what's illogical about this. Honestly, if you think about it logically, forget about you know the religion, forget about the Quran and the Sunnah for a second, and use your brain, right? For anyone who is believing in that, evolution—the the, the definition of evolution—that it's something that it keeps on evolving, like the evolution itself never stops. For example, our behavior as human beings actually it goes through evolution. Our culture, our tradition, all these things, they go like our mannerisms. They change according to time and place. 
Think about it. Generations, you know, many generations before, they used to behave in a certain way that are completely different from ours. You know, our generation is different from the previous one. Our generation is different from the next generation, the younger generations. And you can see it. People change their behavior and it will always change. That is the definition of evolution. It keeps on evolving. Now, when you say that humans were not humans, meaning biologically speaking, physically speaking, we were different. That means we have to keep also on evolving, but we haven't. Why did we stop at humans? Like we were monkeys. Okay, we got that. that let's say the first stage, quote unquote, the first stage. We were monkeys. Then we became humans. Why haven't we moved on to stage number three, for example? So stage number one is monkeys. Stage number two is humans. Why did we stop? What was the cause of us stopping to evolve? Nothing. It does not make any sense. What are we going to be? Like, what's the next evolution stage? What is it? No one knows. Theories. It's all about theories. And you know what I mean? Same thing like the reincarnation. It's very explicit. In the Quran and the Sunnah, it doesn't exist. Your soul is intent when it was created, it was intended for one human body. And once you are dead, your soul goes back to Allah. Done. Case closed. There's no mani- uh, you know, new manifestation. There's no reincarnation. None of that exists. Same thing with evolution. Evolution does not make any sense. We were not monkeys. The first human being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, to be a day. I created Adam with my bare hands. Then Eve came after from one of Adam's ribs. We know that story too. That's it. And that's how we survived. Now you have generations after the children of Adam, Noah, Noah alayhi salam, then everybody drowned except for the people who were on the ark. And then they, you know, when they survived, they started producing. And that's, it's that simple. Why do we have to come up with weird theories? But then, you know, there were popular, like someone like Darwin, and I know they came up with all these things, and then many people believe in them. It's simply not true. Logically speaking, it's not true. And factually, from the Quran and the Sunnah, it's not true. So I hope, Natalie, you know, that answers your question. Now, Natalie had another question, which is more of a concern than a question. And I need to address, and again, like, like I said, you have to research Islam as much as you want, but at the end of the day, rest assured that what's delaying you from embracing Islam, if you believe it's the truth, it is shaitan who's helping your doubts, playing tricks on you. And wallahi, that is so true in all the cases I've heard from so far. Now, Natalie is is basically uh, you know, talking about a very specific chapter, chapter Ma'ida, verse number 38. Now, the verse is concerning uh, to Natalie, and by the way, a lot of non-Muslims who do not know enough about Islam, that verse concerns them. What does the verse say? It's basically Allah saying, those who steal, Males and females, cut off their hands if they got caught to basically uh, punish them. 
from their unlawful money or whatever the the things they stole, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all wise and all powerful, Azizun Hakim. So that is the verse. Now you can guess why Natalie and many, by the way, many other, some Muslims even, they have a concern with that verse. Because that means every thief, when they get caught in a Muslim land, they will be punished by, you know, getting their hands cut off and it's kind of a harsh punishment. If you think about it, it's a very, you know, if I, if I steal like uh, from someone like $20, $50 that I lose my hands forever. And again, Natalie, thank you for, this is actually a very important question because a lot of people manipulate. Remember when I said some people manipulate the text in the Quran? That's one of them. People God knows whoever has a problem with Islam will take such a verse and then will twist it and make it look like Islam is a very harsh, violent religion. Now, let me start by saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, is the one who created us, right? He knows us more than we know ourselves. And He is the only one entitled to tell us what kind of punishment should we receive upon certain crimes. So this is coming from Allah, this is from the Qur'an, right? And <clears throat> Allah knows us and knows what makes us afraid to commit a crime, to commit a sin. And knows that if sometimes we make certain things very easy, what's going to happen? We got to ignore it. It's a human nature. Now, regarding this verse, now this is called a capital punishment. These are one of the, like, for example, like something else is that when you commit adultery and you got caught by witnesses, actually four of them, they have to witness the process. We talked about this, the process of intercourse. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Uh, like four people must witness the process of intercourse of adultery, then you could be stoned. It's a very harsh punishment. Now, think about it this way. I'm going to talk about multiple dimensions to this issue. First of all, we need to know that any capital punishment, the verdict in the Sharia, in the Quran, in the Sunnah, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left it up to the ruler or the judge in that case. So if you got caught stealing, now the Muslim judge, first of all, it has to be in a Muslim land, right? Muslim government. They have the choice to cut off your hands or do something else. What do you mean by that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it comes to capital punishments, left it completely up to the judge, gave a leeway to the judge. So the judge could give you another penalty. It's not mandatory to apply capital punishment. Otherwise, think about it this way. All Muslim countries, you will have crazy like news coverage about how many hands are being chopped off from you know normal people a lot of people rob in muslim countries a lot of people steal like in non-muslim countries it happens by the way it happens everywhere do you hear news about people getting their hands cut off everywhere left and right you don't hear that because it doesn't happen because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of allah's mercy he left this whole idea of capital punishment to different like the again he gave the judge or the ruler a leeway you need to pay this penalty you need to spend this time in jail 
Your hands doesn't, you know, they don't, you, you, your hands don't have to get cut off, basically. So Allah made the verdict if someone stole, cut off their hands. However, as a ruler, Allah also said, you don't have to if you don't want to, but you need to apply some sort of punishment. Okay? So that is number one. It's that simple. The ruler has, that's why you don't hear ever. I mean, maybe it happened back in the day. It doesn't happen now. You don't hear every time they catch a robber or a thief, they cut off the, it doesn't happen. And trust me, you'll hear it. You know, all the human rights and the civil rights and all these things. You'll hear that. It doesn't happen. And again, I spent so much time in Muslim countries. I'm telling you, it does not happen. Now, there are punishment. Like they go to prison. Depends on how much you stole and how effective it was, you know, what you robbed. All these things, these are all factors. However, never I've heard that someone in our time got their hands cut off because, you know, they stole something. Because Allah, out of Allah's mercy, that capital punishment was, and again, with all the capital punishments, there is a different route that you can take. Allah allowed an alternate route to be taken by the judge or by the ruler. It depends on who's making the law or who's applying the law, right? So that's okay. That's, that happens. By the way, capital punishment is in every single religion. You guys know that. Capital punishment is in Christianity, it's in uh, Judaism, it's there. Capital punishment in every single religion. Like, for example, like in, in, in based on the Old Testament, the, the Torah, basically. Kidnapping. Cursing one's parents requires capital punishment and sometimes death. Do you understand witchcraft? Worshipping other gods. Violating the Sabbath. This is in the Old Testament. Child sacrifice, adultery, incest, homosexuality. These are all punishments, capital punishments that require death penalty. Look that up. It's out there. It's out there. The beautiful thing about Islam is that Islam said, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Islam said, you have a leeway. You have an alternate route to take, depending on, again, the situation. No Single situation required cutting off hands as far as I know. Now, back in the day, maybe, to apply that this is effective. However, Muslims always had the choice to do something else and they've been applying it everywhere. Now, some might say, if that's the case, why Allah mentioned that punishment in the first place? Do you know what I mean? Why? Why? If Allah is saying you don't have to follow it, you can follow other punishments or take another alternate route, why would Allah mention that in the first place? Here's why. Fear. Fear. Because if you're in a Muslim land and you're trying to rob someone and steal someone's money, you're going to think a billion times before you commit such crime because what? Because of what? You're going to lose your hands. Nobody wants to lose their hands, trust me. And Allah did that on purpose. It's harsh in terms of like statement. Again, we don't apply it now. But again, it is there. It's in the Quran. It is if a ruler today wants to apply this, there's there will be no fault. In uh, talking about Islamically speaking, they have absolute right to do that. But it puts fear into those who want to but, but think about it this way some people think stealing is not a big deal it's not like murder because again murder up until this day 
See, like for example, murder, it's, it's a capital punishment. If you murder someone, if you kill someone intentionally and all these things, right? What happens? Death penalty, in most cases, death penalty. This is everywhere. Is that too harsh? Well, but, you know, the, the murderer took a life of someone else. So yeah, they deserve that their lives would be, you know, ended or be would be taken away because they ended someone else's life. So murder, the punishment, uh, you know, of murder is death. That's, that's fine. But stealing, cutting off hands, it's kind of harsh. How? Do you know that stealing, you could ruin someone's life for good by stealing? By stealing all of their savings, you destroy the family. Because, you know, often when people, well, lie, people downplay stealing. It's it's crazy. Like when you say stealing, people think someone is stealing like 10 bucks from someone else or like 100 bucks. No. Stealing could ruin lives, entire families. Again, if, if you think about it, I'm just going to give you an example. A family who has their life savings, what f- what is it? Let's say a hundred K, hundred thousand dollars. Someone came and stole all that money. What are you gonna do now? He destroyed an entire family. An entire family. Stealing is not something that we should take lightly. So Allah was harsh, quote unquote harsh, but that was fair. Because Allah's what Allah is telling us is that do not Try to steal. That is the statement that Allah is making by this verse. So Allah is making a statement by revealing this verse that don't don't ever try to steal. And if you stole knowing that this will be your punishment, because think about it. If I go to a land, okay, if I go to and live in a land, whether permanently or temporarily, and the law of the land says that if I go to a specific place and I get caught Punishment is death. And I still go, then I'm asking for it. Do you understand? Like, it's very simple. Well, like, think about it logically. If I go to a place and then in that place, I'm told if you approach this area, in this country, whatever, if I approach a specific area and I know it's declared in the books, in the constitution, everything, that if you come near this area, your punishment is death. And I still go, then I'm asking for Death penalty. I'm asking. I'm, I'm. I'm asking to die. So if a thief who is a Muslim realizes that their hands will get cut off in a Muslim land by stealing, and they still rob and steal, they're only they only have themselves to blame. Nobody else to blame. You can't blame this on Quran. Now again, I'm saying that. I'm and while I'm telling you that there is a hundred percent leeway. You don't hear about this happening anywhere. Because Allah, out of Allah's ultimate mercy, Allah kept that, made that statement to put fear into those who want to transgress and steal someone else's money. You know what I mean? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, out of his ultimate mercy, gave the ruler or the judge, if you want to call it, a leeway. You can get out of it by giving them, God knows, like uh, spend some time in prison, you know, pay some fine, pay some penalty, something that would make them think. But subhanAllah, if you think about it, cutting off my hands, I will never, ever think about stealing for the rest of my life. If I'm a robber, if I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a thief and I hear the, those verses, I'm never stealing. Do you understand? All that? And that was the purpose of revealing such 
quote unquote harsh punishment. They're not harsh, they're fair. When I tell you, hey, if you do this, if you cross me in a certain way, my punishment will be this and this and that. And then you do it. I'm not harsh. I'm literally telling you what I'm going to do ahead of time. You didn't care. It's on you. And subhanAllah, even the Prophet commented on this. Because some people, by the way, claim that this is a little bit too harsh. During the time of the Prophet Now, they couldn't say it like that. But they kind of insinuated like cutting off hands. You know what the Prophet said? Wallahi, in saraqat Fatima, laqata'atu yadayha. The Prophet said, if my daughter, by the way, his daughter Fatima, the most... You know, the, the, the most famous uh, daughter of the Prophet because she was the only one who outlived him. She died a few, uh, actually a few weeks after he died. But again, she was the only child that outlived the Prophet Know that, you know, for trivia questions. Fatima. He said, Wallahi, by Allah, if Fatima stole, I will cut off her hands myself. I'll do it myself. And the Prophet was not bluffing. And we know that. The Prophet never lies. He truly 100% meant it. Now, so I hope, uh, you know, I was able to, again, there's a leeway with it. And uh, by the way, any ruling, any command regarding uh, disciplining people, it is to make the society better and a safer place. When robbers know that if they get caught and this severe punishment will take place, they'll stop robbing. You know, when rapists know that they their punishment will be death, they'll stop doing that. It's just, it makes sense. And at the same time, there is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because some people, they repent. They make mistakes and they repent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them that kind of leeway to get out of this. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So I hope I was able to answer your question. Now, Natalie's final question is a very... Uh, uh, very, uh, what should I say, could be emotional one for a lot of uh, converts or reverts. And I, by the way, I actually have a full uh, episode on where I talked about this. Uh, I believe it was episode number 52 with the title of What is the Fate of My Non-Muslim Family in the Hereafter? And uh, again, uh, Natalie has the same question. You know, she... Uh, her her father died uh, a horrible death, and I'm so sorry to hear that, Natalie. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa taala make it easy on you and make you, you know, forget uh, all the pain, uh, and you know, remember your father for you know his best moments. Inshallah. So she's saying, I can't imagine basically my 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 life without my family, my loved ones in in. Jannah, like let's say she's saying basically, let's say I become a Muslim and I go to paradise, I go to Jannah. Now, you're telling me that every single non Muslim who heard of Islam, you know, won't enter Jannah, they'll spend eternity in hellfire. What are you? I'm gonna be lonely, I'm gonna feel again, her family, loved ones. What's gonna happen then? And Natalie, this is the I totally understand this. This is a very difficult topic. I remember I had to actually give a lecture to a new convert face to face and in person, and I had to tell her that in person about her family. And and I'm gonna tell you something that actually encouraged her to go and preach Islam to her family. And as far as I know, I believe her mother uh, is very interested after she did not like Islam from my from what I remember. Now her mother is very interested in becoming a Muslim. Uh, again, that's as far as I remember. Uh, but 
here's the thing, and, I, and I'm going to be very, very honest and open with you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show people Islam. We said there might be minority, very rare percentage, very tiny percentage of people who would not hear about Islam at all. Now, what happens to those people? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fair. Allah will judge them based on how good or bad they were in this life. We know that for a fact. But then this is a very, by the way, this is a very tiny percentage of the world who basically received Islam, who, I mean, he didn't, who, who basically did not receive Islam at all and never heard about Islam, never knew anything about Islam, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, like I said, he's all merciful and just and all wise. But if you heard about Islam and Allah exposed the truth and open, Allah will open your heart to the truth, by the way, like I always say, and it's up to you to reject it or accept it. Now, for those who reject for whatever the reason, they're lazy, they don't want to deviate from the religion of their parents, even though Islam made perfect sense to them, their eternity in hellfire. That's it's a simple, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, the worst crime a human being can you know, commit is shirk, is associating someone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, your father, like if he never heard about Islam, if he never was exposed to Islam, then let's you know say that, okay, maybe he is from those who, like we don't know the hereafter. That's my point. We don't know what will happen to, you know, uh, uh, anyone else. Like if if your father never heard about Islam, or he did, or and we don't know, right? This is something that I cannot tell you what will happen to a specific individual in the hereafter. But here's the playbook that we go by, right? If he was exposed to Islam and rejected, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on you. But here is a catch. If any of your family members went, let's say, never entered paradise, I promise you this. This is a fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us about and the Prophet also told us about. You will never feel lonely in Jannah and you shall never feel sadness in Jannah. Call it brainwash, but in a good way. Memory wash. You, your memory from only the bad and horrible things that happened to you in this life will be erased. It's a good thing, actually. You will only remember good stuff in this life. And inshallah, you will build you know, new memories, uh, wonderful memories, in, you know, while you're spending eternity in paradise, inshallah. So do not worry about that part. You won't feel anything. However, that might sound cruel to a lot of people that, oh, I'm never even going to remember my, you're going to remember your family, but you won't feel the sadness that they're not with you. Because to you, and wallahi, this is a fact, I, again, the reason why we know it's a fact is it's mentioned in the Quran and in the Sunnah, being in paradise will make you forget all your problems, period. Imagine that you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator of this entire existence. Do you understand? Not every Muslim, by the way, will have his family or her family with her in Jannah. As a matter of fact, you can have a Muslim family, a big family, and they're in different levels in Jannah. Now, we know that, you know, if you, the one in the highest uh, level in Jannah can make dua to Allah and ask Allah to bring the rest of the family to that highest level in Jannah. And that, inshallah, we'll talk about that after the Day of Judgment. But for now, 
Don't worry about what will happen on the day of judgment. Focus on yourself first. Let me tell you why you should focus on yourself first. Focusing on yourself could potentially lead to the rest of your family to become Muslims. Again, focusing on yourself right now, understanding Islam, embracing Islam, becoming a Muslim, learning, gaining knowledge about Islam could be, as a matter of fact, it is the only way for a potential conversion of your family, your loved ones. This is the only way, by the way. If your family don't know anything about Islam, you could be the bridge. Like I Again, this is the theme of this whole episode from the beginning. But if you really care about them, then do your part on becoming a knowledge. Again, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be like, you know, you just learn enough to convince them. At the end of the day, people require convincing, even with the truth, like Islam. Because there's a lot of falsehood, a lot of dust around the truth that they can't see the truth. And you're trying to clear all that dust and show them the truth. So, do not lose hope. Wallahi, I remember, I remember this. This episode that I just mentioned, episode number 52, when you know someone was asking, uh, how would my family, like, can I go to uh, paradise and my family, I will never see them, How what will happen to them? I remember there was a sister who asked me that question. That, that episode was a response to another sister who, before she actually became a Muslim, she said, are you trying to tell me that my mother won't go to paradise? I still remember the question. And I explained it again. Please go back, Natalie, and listen. This whole episode is dedicated to that question. And subhanAllah, I think a month later or so, she became a Muslim. She became a Muslim because she knew now, like, okay, she, she, she knows that she had to do this. She had to become a Muslim herself, save herself, by the way, wallahi, save yourself. On the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, if you go back to the chapter of Abasa, verse number 34, Allah is saying explicitly, On the day of judgment when everybody's resurrected, the individual will run away from her or his siblings. Their parents, they're going to run away from them. Nafsi, nafsi, myself. I want to save myself. Get away from me. Can you imagine? Even if you live this entire life loving them to the furthest extent. If you your love was insane to your parents, on the this is Allah's promise. On the day of judgment, you're gonna be like, please leave me alone. Please because what what, what are you witnessing on the day of judgment? The sun is one mile away, you're seeing all the angels, people being punished. While wait, by the way, people will be punished on the day of judgment, not just after, not just in hellfire. While they're waiting in the land of gathering, we're gonna get to that, inshallah. This might take two seasons, wallahi, talking about the day of judgment, inshallah. I'm very excited to talk about it. But my point is, you're gonna be seeing things, you know, like in in the chapter of Muzammil, verse number seventeen. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "What? Yawmayajalulwildan ashiba." On the day of judgment, people's hair will turn gray. Like young people will turn gray from the insanity that do. Now it's not from fear if they, if you're a believer. If you're a disbeliever, yeah, you're 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 done. You're gonna fear to death, and you can't even die on the day of judgment. But for the believers, it's out of anxiety. You still don't know your fate. What is gonna happen? This is the day of judgment, the day of the ultimate court of Allah. 
And that, imagine this, you will be running away from your own parents. وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَبَنِي The end of the verses. And your own children. When you imagine how much we love our children right now. We will run away from them. Get away from me. I care about myself. I want to know what Allah will do with me. So I know that right now it feels difficult, but wallahi, there is hope. Learn Islam. Become, you know, as, as knowledgeable as you can, as you can be. And then little by little, in a smart way, like I mentioned earlier, start t- talking to your family about Islam. That's all you could do. And then leave the rest to Allah. Have trust in Allah's wisdom. You know what I mean? So that is uh, regarding that. And uh, I'll, I'll end with this uh, regarding Natalie's, uh, you know, um, a couple of questions. No matter what the answers are, don't let the nuance of these rulings or commands or facts that you just learned distract you from one thing. Focusing on yourself. You need to save yourself. Like right here, I'm trying my best to share my knowledge with everyone else. Why? Because I want to get rewards you know, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But through what? Through shedding the light on the truth. Telling you what you need to do. Because that's what Allah told. This is not coming from my own opinion. This is all coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you know, through his messenger, through everything else we know, like Quran and Sunnah. Focus on yourself. Do not get distracted from your journey. Your journey to embrace the truth is is the most like I again I've been I know I've been I sound I sound like a broken record throughout this whole episode but like trust me it is the most critical thing you'll ever do and through it you can save as much as you can from inshallah your family members uh, Natalie again thank you so much for your questions may Allah subhanahu wa taala guide you to the truth and increase your knowledge and faith in Him inshallah now. <clears throat> Moving on to the next question, and um, this question is very interesting one. This is a very critical also uh, story, if you want to call it, by one of our listeners, Jack, from Australia. Jack is 17 years old, and he became a Muslim. He's still, of course, uh, he's still in school. But his parents, uh, they're not, you know, they're not happy with him being a Muslim. And also, uh, his friends. So, as a matter of fact, his friends stopped talking to him since he became a Muslim. They just stopped talking to him. And, you know, his parents don't take him seriously and he has to pray in secret. Now, that's not the issue. The issue is um, he's asking uh, like, how can he build confidence to tell people that he's a Muslim, you know, without people making fun of him, without people not taking him seriously? Also, what's really critical is that he feels like he's alone. He feels lonely because he doesn't have any Muslim friends. You know, he doesn't have a Muslim family. And it gets, like he literally mentions in the email, it gets pretty lonely at times. And... um this is first of all, Jack. Thank you so much for your, uh, you know, your your email, and for sharing this uh, with me and you know the rest of us. You're not alone. 
That is a fact. You are part of one nation. You're part of a big family, a global family, if you want to call it. You're part of the truth. You're part, wallahi, you are part of the truth. You know, you're part of something that's very special. Even if it doesn't manifest itself, if you don't see it happening, if you don't see how special you are right now, I promise you, you'll see it in the hereafter and you will be from those who, like the Prophet ﷺ described, their face will be brightened when everybody else's face uh, will be darkened. Again, we as Muslims have to take heat from people. We have to take humiliation from non-Muslims. Again, not all of them. Of course, many of them are so nice, but some non-Muslims from the media from everyone and we have to be patient we're doing it for the sake of allah we're praying for the sake of allah we're fighting you know every day's battle with people and with you know bigotry and with hate comments for the sake of allah however all of that will be rewarded to you because you did it for the sake of allah allah has infinite amount of rewards for you and me and everybody else who is doing you know something for his sake it is a battle and you're not alone again allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the angels are with you we are with you we are one nation yeah i mean yeah some might say well talk is cheap you don't even live there however we're here we're talking you can talk to me ask me about anything and you can look for friends you can make friends and don't settle make good friends good muslims because muslims will be good and bad they're normal human beings islam is the is perfection like i said muslims are flawed they're like any human being right so first of all when you decide to you know uh, tell people that you are a muslim gain as much knowledge as you can because you have to be proud and it doesn't matter people's reactions satan look inna shaytana liyahzuna alladhina amanu allah is telling us in the quran that shaytan that satan the devil wants to make you sad wants to make you feel lonely wants you to quit your religion wants you to abandon islam by making you sad, by making you depressed, by making you feel lonely. It's a tactic. But inshallah, with your strong faith, but above all, asking Allah for help and support, you'll overcome this. You'll see the truth. Now, you already know the truth, alhamdulillah, by being a Muslim. But I'm talking about the truth of your situation. Your situation is nothing but a manipulation by shaitan and not so much good people around you. You should be proud of being a Muslim because you are the only one among your friends who knows the truth. You're the only one who's up, upon the truth. Imagine that. Imagine that on a day. May Allah guide all of them, by the way. We, we have to make dua that Allah would guide all of them. But if they're not guided and they keep making fun of you, guess who will be miserable in the hereafter? Not you. Inshallah, not you. Stem. Those who reject the message of Allah. Now, I'm not asking you to go preach Islam to them. But once you're confident enough of your religion, and inshallah you are, 
don't be scared of them. Don't be scared of their reaction. Don't be worried about what they might say. They'll make fun of you. Take the Prophet Wasallam as a role model, as an example. They made so much fun of him. Come on. Quraysh, his own people, his own family, and his own friends at the time made fun of him. Called him a sorcerer or a wizard or whatever. Someone who, you know, cast a magician. You know, called him a poet. He does these. The Quran is not real. You just you you're making up your own words. Called him a madman. Used to laugh at him. Don't forget that when the Prophet ﷺ. This is critical. Jack and everyone else who has the same situation as Jack, who is worried about humiliation and the society or his friends or family or her friends or family making fun of them. The Prophet ﷺ, when he prayed by the Kaaba, one of the first times, remember, one of the worst people, Uqba, remember that name, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it. That's a name of one of the disbelievers of Quraysh. Tried to choke the Prophet ﷺ while he was praying by the Kaaba. Now again, Islam was still new. There are few Muslims, like literally you can count them, who were Muslims on the face of the earth at the time. They're being persecuted, they're being humiliated, tortured physically, mentally, you name it. The Prophet ﷺ himself was choked physically when he went to, you know, when he uh, was in sujood, when he was prostrating. Of course, he was not looking, he was focused on praying Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id came behind him and choked him. Choked him. Of course, though, he was unsuccessful. He tried to. Same guy. Same filthy human being. Another time the Prophet was praying and then he they just sacrificed camels for their culture and whatever. And they took the carcass of the camel. All the intestines, the filthy stuff. They gathered it. And when the Prophet again went in prostration in public, they threw it on him to the degree that he felt like he could not prostrate properly and he lost his balance. It was that much. Think about it. Imagine the, the heavy intestines of multiple camels. The Prophet the best man ever lived and will ever live. The best of Allah's creation. The best, not one of the best. He, the Prophet was the best and will always be the best of Allah's creation. That's, by the way, not the Prophet telling us. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this happened to him. Humiliated. He was made fun of. Punished. Persecuted. Tortured. You name it. And this happened to who? The best of mankind. There's a reason why Allah allowed this to happen at the time. For you and me, when we face this, we learn from it. We take the Prophet as an example and we be patient. And we can say, this happened to the Prophet in the worst way possible. So inshallah, I'll be able to take it. Allah says, I will never burden you with something that you cannot handle. This is a test of your faith. Stay steadfast. Again, the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, praying 
and he was not stopping his worship. They tried so many times to make fun of him, you know, to literally have rumors about him in Mecca that he is a madman. Do not listen to that guy. Whatever he's blabbing like Quran, whatever he's saying, do not listen to it. Did that stop the Prophet ﷺ? No. Because he knew that he was upon the truth and everybody else who was fighting him was upon falsehood. They were all upon falsehood. Same thing is for you, Jack. Alhamdulillah, you are upon the truth, my brother. Wallah, you are. Everybody else who that who is, you know, might make fun of you, who stopped talking to you, wallahi, they're all upon falsehood. And you can have that in your mind with the utmost certainty. So don't worry. You know, when Abu Bakr, the best friend of the Prophet, when they were fleeing Mecca and emigrating to Medina, Abu Bakr was worried that, you know, because they were found and they were followed. And then they were hiding in a little bit of a crack inside of a mountain. Then the guy, the scout who was basically, or the tracker, they sent a tracker after them. And the tracker almost found them. And then at this moment, Abu Bakr was so nervous. But then our Prophet said what? What will happen to two men that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their third? Allah is there for you. He's protecting you. Do not ever feel lonely. The Prophet was trying to make Abu Bakr feel safer. He said, don't worry. Allah is our third, my brother. And I'm telling you right now, Allah is out there, inshallah, for all of us. He's there. He does not sleep. He sees everything. He hears everything. And he hears your dua. Make dua to Allah. And inshallah, we're always there for you. We're always one nation together. And above all, Allah is there for you. So that is uh, a summary of what people who want to become Muslims, the challenges that they face when it comes to talking to themselves and all the fears. Same thing goes for those who are new Muslims. They're facing challenges. And there will always be, don't for a second think that because you became a Muslim, all your problems will be gone. No, you will still be tested. And Allah will test your faith. And all we could do right now, again, being a Muslim is the most critical thing. And then from now on, learn more so you can face those challenges. You can face those tests. We're always struggling until the day we die, inshallah. See, I, I made it, alhamdulillah. I actually answered all the questions, alhamdulillah. We did not have to do a part two. I know this is going to be a very, very long uh, episode, but alhamdulillah, we've made it. And again, we've been, I've been traveling and it's been, you know, it's been a while since we went back and, and we had a, an actual topic and an actual episode. And here you go. You had a, inshallah, very long and lengthy episode. But again, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.